On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are back in the soup hunting business with Billy Butcher and the gang in Prime Video's The Boys, which returns for its third season, rooting up police corruption on the mean streets of Baltimore with David Simon and half the cast of The Wire in We Own This City on Sky, and taking a trip down Dolly Alderton's memory lane in the BBC's adaptation of her memoir, Everything I Know About Love. Plus, the legend himself, Mr. Murray Bartlett, joins us on the show to talk season two of Physical and some very exciting other things besides. (laughs) I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your weekly guide to every show that matters and a podcast that is recording this episode on Wednesday the 1st of June, nearly a full week before you'll actually get to hear this. Uh, on the one hand, this of course shows how organised we are and how committed to getting this podcast in your ears despite Her Majesty's best efforts to stymie us. Uh, on the other hand, it does make an absolute mockery of the section we will laughably refer to as news. Uh, joining me, however, for this incident of premature podulation are my two co-hosts hailing from diametrically opposite sides of southern England. It is the original Essex Boyd, Mr Boyd Hilton, and the original Tim the Swindoner, the West Country's Beth Webb. It could be a Pet Shop Boys song, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Eastern Boyd and West. East meets West in this very podcast. How, how are you both? Are you feeling consumed with patriotism and, I don't know, bunting? Well, I look, yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. I don't. And also, by the time this goes out, all that will have passed. But at the moment, the world is awash with yes, Union Jacks is, yes. and buntings. And I saw terrifying my next door neighbour, and this is absolutely true, has bunting, which is not the Union Jack. They are just little pictures of Her Majesty's face just on each one of the little Horrible. flags. It's terrifying. Horrible. It's terrifying. Yeah. Wow. No. Um, so you won't be tuning in on Saturday night as as we are now to the huge big concert the Jubilee concerts happening outside Buck Palace is this the one that Tom Cruise is participating in no Tom Cruise or that's already gone out Tom oh. Cruise did the, one of the first big event which was the kind of horse show thing that the Queen loved. He, loved did he like jump out of a helicopter with her or something no he introduced just a whole segment right. and was interviewed right. um, live by Philip Schofield on ITV <laughs> of course he was and oh, wow. got his picture taken with um, you know gardening dude who's no gardening dude Alan, Alan Titchmarsh Alan Titchmarsh thank you yeah. it's amazing that you say gardening dude and, and there is know. only one name yeah that comes to mind yeah. yes so that's happened that happened a couple of weeks ago that was right. the first thing and this is the end now coming to an end with and the big concert live concert you remember like 10, 20 years ago when Queen Brian May stood on top Absolutely of Buckingham not. Palace oh my god this is a cultural <laughs> moment that you have no idea why on about. earth would I watch some kind of just, weird it, it jubilee event sunk in as a cultural event no Brian May playing his axe on top of Buckingham Palace. No, no. I mean, that was a huge thing. Um, Madness did our house. And lost. And this is, so now they've got, this year they've got Diana Ross's performing. Madness did our house yeah, at, at a Buckingham jubilee. Palace. See, I Palace. don't know a great deal about Madness or indeed Scar Music as a whole, but they don't feel like Scar. massive royalists to me. <laughs> yeah, but they, everyone loves the Queen. That's the thing, everyone, except Morrissey. You know. Except Morrissey. So, I mean, Morrissey's got bigger problems and than even just, it, you know. But he does have bigger problems. <laughs> um, so pretty much, he, like the Sex Pistols, John Lydon, you know, talking of, he was interviewed yesterday in which he brilliantly um, had a go at that show that we reviewed last week, Pistol. Um, and even he's like, oh, I love the Queen. Yeah, the Queen's great and everything. I'm almost doing an impersonation of John Lydon. You are, yeah. We did promise impersonations in, someone mentioned in it on Twitter oh, that yeah. um, Chris Hewitt promised impersonations on, apparently there's a double ad for this podcast and the Empire podcast well, yes, we, we, Our special sponsored pilot ah, pod goes yes. across on Empire and it goes on the pilot feed as well. Mm. Anyway, um, John Lydon called Danny 
Danny uh, Boyle, an asshole, live on this morning <laughs> on Tuesday when he was when he was on live television, hosted yeah, by TV's Dermot O'Leary and Alison Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so that was very funny. And what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So the, the, but this whole thing on Saturday night is a massive concert. Loads of people. Duran Duran are playing. I'm most excited about Duran Duran playing, I have to say. I mean, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be fascinating. And I actually know the guy who's producing it. Of course you do. I know the guy who's choreographing it. I don't oh, doubt wow. it. Um, so I have to watch it, really. Yeah, I it's quite a big thing. will not be watching it. Of course it. you won't. No. No. And it's the final of Britain's Got Talent as well this weekend they could have combined the two Boyd I think they I missed mean, a trick there they could yeah you're pretty much right they could yeah, mm. yeah. sorry for that diversion away from our um, core <laughs> have you been watching anything that isn't yes. wildly patriotic or absolutely is... okay two things I want to mention particularly uh, first of all Barry Oh uh, my god! I'd forgotten about. <laughs> I looked at Beth. I know sometimes Beth forgets like her favorite favorite programs that you know are ongoing. But I've, have you watched the most recent episode? I haven't watched the most recent. Most recent. Beth. I watched the one before. I can't. I really think I need to get myself into like a real, like a real space to be able to watch it. Like it's waiting for me. Yeah, yeah. When yeah, I like go yeah, on my, my yeah. telly, it's there waiting for me. But I can't do it yet because the last one ended with the mum and the son. Yeah. Oh. Well, this one has, but this one is, is you know, remember last season there was the fight episode, yeah. which is one of the most extraordinary fight sequences really oh, yeah. in, you know, TV slash film. Yeah. He's outdone himself in this episode with a chase sequence, basically involving him on a motorbike, uh, Bill Hader, um, on a motorbike. He directed it as well, yeah. unbelievably. Yeah. Um, in this extraordinary chase through on the freeways yeah. of LA. Okay. Um, and it is an unbelievably spectacular, incredibly conceived and directed and performed chase sequence that is as good as, and I, this is no exaggeration, any film chase I've, see, I've seen, because I've seen. Is no, it I know you're preparing your little face. <laughs> Sorry, have you seen it? Have you watched yeah. it, James? James, you have to watch <laughs> okay, it. Okay, And technically, I, I don't know how they've filmed it. And there is, that actually, someone sent me a link of it. There's an article about how they'd made it. But. Using, it feels like they're using drones somehow, or, or Steadicam, or CGI, whatever. However, they've done it, and the sound design is incredible. I watched it on my giant 17-inch TV. Obviously, mm. um, it's fucking amazing, and that is no exaggeration to say it's as good as any chase sequence I've seen on in Sony. That's cinema a big claim, year. boy. It's I'm a, sorry. Oh, this year, see, you move the goalposts. No, no, no. There. You move the goalposts. It's an all-time classic chase sequence. Okay. In TV and film. Okay. And it's it's partly because of the way it's conceived and the originality of it, and and how it ends up. Not only that, so that's incredible. Is so, it better? Is it on. better? than the chase through the streets in Boba Fett. Yes, it is. Okay, absolutely is. Certainly better than the chase of Princess Leia in the ludicrous scene in uh, in oh, yes. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, that's a classic chase. Yes. Um, it's extraordinary and brilliant. Oh. But not only that, Beth, yeah. there's a hil- I, there's an absolutely hilarious character who runs his own, who's the manager of like a donut, you know, beignet, is that how you pronounce it? Like a particular ty- type of donut yeah. shop in, in that they <laughs> that all the characters go to for advice. They go to him for advice vice in this episode and they don't really like his stuff it just happens as a thing and there's yeah. a massive queue of people waiting to queue up to get in to get the delicious donut things yeah. and to tell this ask this guy who's like a guru he's like a surfer dude guru figure who dispenses advice to everyone including Barry yeah. about what they should do with their lives and oh it's, that is hilarious that's okay. one of the funniest things so you get one of the funniest things that's happened ever in the history of Barry with the most spectacular 
a sequence, action sequence that okay. has ever had, it, all combining for one of the best episodes of TV I've seen in a long, long time. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to watch it tonight then, aren't I? But like last week, I watched it and I was like, I, I need to chill out. This is because uh, it was horrible what happened the mm. the episode for like just horrible. Yeah. Everyone had a horrible time. Everyone was upset and betrayed or like wounded. Oh my god, it was really even for that show. Dark. So, well, this, okay. Yeah. So this is the most entertaining episode uh, we'll ever get. Yes. I feel. I feel like he's 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 paced that well. Yeah. Then, in which case, he knows what um, he's doing. Yeah. I'm just so excited. I was I was talking to someone uh, recently, and we were just talking about how great uh, the show is, and he's going to direct all of season four, isn't he? That was the big news yeah. um, that was announced recently. I think he he potentially could well pivot into film directing. Oh, quite. I mean, this is like 100%. And yeah. someone said that someone else said, a big director said, oh, Bill Hader's going to be a major, massive movie making um, so figure because he can absolutely do what the fuck he wants. Yeah. yeah. And I, I am I am so excited because he's a raging cinephile as well. I don't yes. know if you listened to the pilot TV where he was rounding off his niche criterion collection, like highlights. Yeah. So I think I'm I'm so excited. I, I hope he keeps acting as well. But as a director, I, I think he's going to be yeah, astonishing. Yeah. So there's that. And <laughs> And then I want to mention in 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 our occasional finishing the series slot, you know, when we, with things that we review, yes, yeah. yes. Big Boys, which was the. <laughs> have you finished it? <laughs> what? Sorry. I went, oh, I watched it all. Oh, I have I stolen it. this from you? No, no, oh, no, no, no. But okay. we can go in together. Yeah, play. excellent. Isn't it? What an extraordinary um, kind of uh, transformation, really. The show, and funnily enough, it, it may or may not have happened. That Jack Rook, the creator, might have listened to our podcast review <gasps> in which James, I don't know how he does it, he, oh might, he, won't, he won't mind me mentioning this. <laughs> he told me he did. Yeah. And of course, James was quite in his way, not understanding See, how comedy. I wasn't on this episode. Oh, right. Well, that was so one that Kay was on. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Well, Kay yeah. and I both loved it, yeah. obviously, unconditionally. Oh. James had qualms, uh, shall we say? Yeah, but in about, fairness, uh, I think fairness, I did no. say at the time oh. that it was almost certainly on me rather than on oh, the completely. show. Completely, and Jack totally understood that. You know, um, he but, doesn't have to understand. No, that. no, no. Of course, of course, of course. But this is the show. This is the show with Dylan Llewellyn, um, yeah. uh, John Pointing as unlikely best buddies. Dylan Llewellyn, oh. closeted young gay guy. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, John Pointing, who who kind of is a lovely, lovely the Alai Lama. Ha- Exactly, the Dalai Lama, a lovely, handsome young man who initially is described as being someone from, um, uh, what's that show? <laughs> oh my God, this is my senility coming Take me in. out. Take me out, yep. thank you. Yep. See, the senility yeah. kicks in, yeah. <laughs> listeners. And someone from Take Me Out, which is a brilliant description of him, yeah. then turns out to be really sensitive yeah. and lovely. Well, but the, the kind of stealth, um, really stealth subject matter of the series turns out to be mental health yeah. in a pretty major way. Major way. Um, in terms of John Ponting's character yeah. and to some extent Dylan's, Dylan's character. And the way that co- they come together in, towards the latter end of the series as <sighs> it goes on is so moving, isn't it? Yeah. And it li- And it does turn from being because you talked about how broad it was in some ways and there are like silly throwaway gags in the first few episodes but as it goes on, it suddenly becomes this really the drama and the and the impact of it and yeah. the intensity of it and this depiction of anxiety and mental health issues, <sighs> um, you know, of of dementia actually because mm. um, the, the character's mother it, it goes to see her and she's she's um, suffering from Alzheimer's and you know the issues of um, sexuality, just everything. Yeah. And these are all it deals with all of these very heavy issues, but with the with the 
lightest of touches, making yeah. it unbel- unbelievably moving, yes. isn't it? Oh like, God. you will have, you'll be sobbing, James, honestly. Well, that can't... doesn't take much, but no, yes. No, I know. Um, yeah. But so this is interesting. So do you say, would you say it transitions away from comedy more towards drama, or does yes. that sort of tone maintain? It um, maintains, I think. It maintains, it does. It's always way. funny, yeah, but it's in, 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 in a, but the ambition, if you like, of it suddenly kind of unveils itself, I would yeah. say, like halfway through mm. as it goes on. Because oh it's definitely the case that the first couple of episodes are really fun. And, th- and it obviously it touches on, because his dad's died and that's one of yeah. the issues, stories but I would say it's kind of unrelentingly funny the first few episodes and then it it, it it stops worrying about being funny to some extent whilst also still being funny right <laughs> but it's just brilliantly done oh he, God, yeah. it, the, the, the it's beautifully written um, and performed I have to say by both of them oh the best and it's like that friendship the friendship the unconditional friendship yeah. you know between see, the see this is this is throwing me because obviously like, as you say you weren't on yeah. and like that you've come in and you love this and now it's like now I kind of feel like I need to maybe Try again, yes. but I did struggle again. again, which is just the humor. I don't think it's be, a case you know. of try again. You just carry on watching it, and you'll just see how it. it turns out. Because oh mm. I went through, and I, I will have to admit this: I went, I had a bit of a pilot black hole because Can was my nam, and <laughs> like just had to like just just a, I just had a lot. I, could, I just couldn't handle James on top of that's fair. <laughs> a myriad yeah, of stuff. that's fair. You're only human. <laughs> I understand. So I missed this completely, but I saw Nicola Coughlin uh, put a post out because obviously she's friends with Jack Rook yes. and then obviously was in uh, Dairy Girls with the, the little wee English fella. So I saw her, her post about it and recommend it, like glowing review, and I was like, oh, definitely. I had some free time Friday night and I did it in two sittings. So I sat down Friday and I was wow. like, I'll just try it. Mm. Saturday morning, I was sobbing into my coffee, like sobbing. Yeah, oh god. And my partner, like my I partner, would come tears. in. <laughs> it's funny. He come in Friday night, and I was like laughing hysterically, uh, uh, whatever it was. And then the next morning, come in, and I was having my coffee, just floods tears. But in the most uh, cathartic, yeah, kind, like it's just such a kind, empathetic show. It really does kind of weave in that intergenerational love without it being like a big deal. It is so tender and I I just I lo- I can't wait to watch the show mm. again. I cannot wait to watch it again. I think it's it's one of my favourite shows of, of yeah. this year. Wow. It yeah, does, no it, way. it does become really something special. Yeah. And it, and it is incredible. You're right, it's incredibly uplifting in a way. So even though, because that's what I want to say, even though it's dealing with all the issues, I don't want it to sound kind of depressing because it isn't. Because actually yeah. it deals with depression. Yeah. But in the, without spoiling it, I mean, in the end, it's just spectacularly uplifting, isn't it? Because of how of how it all comes together. Yeah. So important. I, I wish, I wish there were more, when, when certainly when I was growing up I'm sure definitely generations before me wish there were more shows like this that, that yeah. people could watch growing up I don't know where John Pointings come from who plays Danny well, he was in he, Plebs he was in the later later series right, of Plebs and he was very okay. funny quite broad latter day Plebs as you said during the review <laughs> latter day Plebs yeah yeah. he's, he's great because he's, look, he kind of on one level he's playing a, a stereotype hunky doofus character but he, but even in even in Plebs actually you know there's there are depths there are right. hidden depths but in this yeah. the depths are See, Deep. That's interesting because when the episode started and he was the hunky doofus archetype, I was eye rolling spectacular. I was like, I hate this archetype. But actually, patience. even in that first episode, you begin to realise there's more to right. him than of that. Course. So of course. So there was definitely depth there. Again, yeah. it was just the, the humour didn't come around. I mean, don't take offence, boy. That it may be, maybe Beth that's pushed me over the edge on this. <laughs> I might be here no, no, prepared to revisit this. No, but, quite rightly because you um, don't. Yeah, because but, you don't listen to what I'm saying. No, of course, <laughs> clearly that's the reason. No, but the thing is, I get, and I think this is a very, very modern condition. Like I am, I'm constantly 
constantly seized by television anxiety, which is just like this constant sense that I am in a swimming pool of shows without the ability to swim particularly competently and I'm drowning. Like I just can't get through it. I have been trying to get back to medical school and I took a load of shit yeah. over the last week because I'm not, because we talked about it on last week's podcast. And someone was giving me shit about Boardwalk Empire as well. I was like, all right, calm down. One thing at a time. But, <laughs> oh but it's just like, you know, I really want to get to medical school, but it's just, there's so much stuff. Like there's just hours, so eh? much. Admittedly, you know this what? is Your doable. priorities though, you say that, right? Let me just say this. Oh, you, then you'll, you'll casually go, I'll say to you, have you watched the boys um, episode? And you'll be, oh yeah, I watched the whole thing. It's like suddenly you, you, you fit six hours of the boys in willy nilly I mean, as soon as they arrive. So don't, I, I'm not, I literally I'm not, have watched all of the exactly. boys. <laughs> exactly. I know you have. You so I'm mean? not taking this how I've got the time. When you want to watch something, when it's 10 hours of the expanse, you somehow fit that in. But okay, so here's the thing I was discussing with someone recently. It's about it's about music and whether or not, you know, because some, some music is accessible, right? And some music you have to persevere with. Like you need to actually try, and you know, because some musos get quite sort of elitist about all that music, a bit too accessible, you know, but some tracks you, you have already. to persevere with to get into. Do you think that's fair to say? Yes. Like some albums? Sure. Like the thing with that is when Raise you apply head. that to, t- yeah, well, I've never managed to pass that particular <laughs> chasm, but um, like, the thing with TV stuff is that I feel like there's so much of it that I don't have the time to persevere with things that require me to unlock them. Like, so we we took some uh, some light criticism, I would say, for our treatment of Night Sky yes. by one of our listeners who very much enjoyed it and thinks it's yes. great and says we missed the point of it. And he may well be right. Yeah. But there's that sense that it is so deliberate. Uh and as Boyd said, fucks off to another country for the next second episode when we were already sort of struggling to stay yeah, interested in the first yeah, one. Yeah. And I'm like, that's fine. And I know I've said this before. And 20 years ago, I'd have totally watched the whole thing because what the fuck else did I have to do? But now, when you've got so many shows each week, like, so we own this city, which I'm enjoying enormously. Right. Spoiler, we're going to talk Spoiler. about that a bit later. But Spoiler. I've watched over half of that show. Watched about, I think I'm three and a half episodes into it. And, and I'm like, I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of it, but I'm already slightly concerned about when I'm going to fit those final episodes in before the next sort of wave of shows hits us next week. And it's just, you know, it's prioritising. Right. And I know that this is a very this, first world problem. To this, I say, it's three hours with ad breaks, <laughs> including ad breaks. And in terms of accessibility, one of the biggest emotional moments happens at Toby Carvery. Yes, I mean, absolutely fair. true. So if you yeah. want to, you know... Have you ever been the, to a Toby Carvery? You bet your ass I've been I don't to think I ever have. It's like when I walk past... No, no, when I want to walk past Leicester Square and you see the people eating in the Angus Steakhouse, and I'm like, I don't think I've ever met someone who's different eaten in an Angus Steakhouse. Toby Carvery's different, that's different, yeah. They're not for tourists. Toby Carvery's not for tourists. Suburbs, yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. suburban thing where a family yeah. goes and enjoys exactly. a, a, a bottomless the salad bar. bar. Is that, are they like... I've been to a beef eater. It's much the same thing, isn't it? It's the same family, more so than Angus Steakhouse in Leicester Square. Yeah, but also, Angus Steakhouse is a very specific thing, because they're not just saying eat here, they're saying eat here and let us display you eating here to everyone who walks past, which is a weird vibe. It's a family establishment, it's a family establishment. Like a harvester. Yeah, like a, do you know what, to the point where it was actually a harvester, not a Toby Carvery. Ha ha! But that is, I have eaten at a harvester. Same family, same family. Can we just say, it was Seamus, who, our listener, who picked us up on the, that show. Um, and I, all I would say is, and, and I, and I, you know, because Seamus has mentioned it, and, and I will go back and try and find time to watch it. But what, I will say this: he compared it to the OA and said the OA wasn't exactly. And you were like steady. Well, <laughs> I would just defend the OA for me was absolutely gripping from from the, the first, first minute. Yeah. I mean, that premise 
I found instantly gripping. I did not find that. I think that I've, I like the idea of this show, um, but I, it, as you say, it just it just took, yeah. I th- it felt indulgent to me. Um, whereas the OA never did feel indulgent in that way of kind of tr- of really like taking too long to establish mm. what the hell's going. I on. I liked what he said about it captured that kind of sort of elderly person's pace of life, yeah, yeah. which oh, I thought yeah, was very interesting. Yeah, and that was which a good I hadn't actually crossed my point, mind. Yeah. That was a the very nice good guy. Point. That's the name yeah. of the show. Like, you're forgetting um, that I've got, but. But yeah, it just I just I just couldn't bring myself to prioritize it over, you know, the other things. Yes. Right. Well, try. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll do that. Do it. It's, yeah, especially if you've seen, you've seen how many episodes did you watch? One or two? Oh, nice guy. No, if big uh, big boy. Just the first one. Just the first one. Anyway, sorry. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's. I mean, no one's surprised. No one's surprised by that, but it's one of my shoes. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, finished, and this is quite telling in itself. The show I finished this week was Conversations with Friends. Mm. Did you finish it? No. That is quite telling. <laughs> yeah, I didn't it. either. Yeah. I watched four, I think, and I have not. Yeah. It just, it is failed it? the Bell End test on every single level. They're, they're, they're all pretty insufferable. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a shame. It, was it worth worth it in the end or no? I get the sense. Still not really. The final note quite irked me quite a lot, to no, be honest. Really? Uh, and I, I've read the book. I read the book a long time ago, but it looks it looks beautiful. It looks beautiful. Yeah. It's shot on film. Then it, the the direction is is gorgeous. But yeah, it uh, it just it just didn't work as well. It did did not. I think work if as if well normal people hadn't existed, I would I would have perhaps liked it a little bit more. Yeah. I wouldn't have loved it. No, sure. But I think the comparison you, you can't stop comparing them. Can't stop and normal people, and it's such a weird contrast, isn't it? Because actually, those two in normal people are unbelievably um, relatable. Yeah. Choose that. Yeah, they world. are. Whereas you're right in conversation with friends, and I, it doesn't usually bother me how uh, unlikable, annoying characters. I can usually deal with that. But there was, n- I didn't really. Ca- it is that old cliche about caring about them, and it's such a contrast mm. between how much you 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 buy into the two in normal people, and how much you don't buy into yeah. any mm-hmm. of the four yeah. at all. I yeah. don't think. No. But normal people had the special source, and I think that partly was casting. Because you remember when they had them on TV, they had Daisy Edgar Jones, and they had Paul yeah. Mescal on TV, and they had them like reading out shipping forecasts, and it was just dripping with sexual yeah. tension. Oh, it's yeah. almost they could read the phone book, and it would almost be R-rated. It's yeah. just obscene. Uh, yeah. So I think that helped a lot. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So finished it, um, and then of course I I strapped in, didn't I? And when I wasn't watching Big Boys, I sat down and watched all twenty five fucking hours of Stranger Things volume. <laughs> did one. you? I really did, because I felt like it would be beneficial to me as a news editor to sit down and watch it as well. So bloody hell, I watched. Oh, I finished it Monday night. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was. How much did How much did you watch for all the? Oh, you watched it? Yeah, I haven't finished it yet. I watched, I watched the first five. I haven't I'm sorry. Right, I did like a lot of it. Obviously, the, the one everyone's talking about with the Kate Bush, phenomenal. I think Sadie Sink is probably my favourite performer Without of that doubt. ensemble. Yeah. I feel like, uh, just, just a few bullet points. We'll go for it. Millie Bobby Brown, <laughs> underserved in this one, I think. Uh, but I'm sure she'll redeem herself in the second volume. Uh, yeah, I'm glad Argyle's been brought in for fuck. Could you imagine those three without that comic relief working? Like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Munson for the win, really liked him. Young Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Can't and see it as soon as In his I'm, delivery, almost as much as anything. 100%. Yeah. He yeah. is great, though. He He's is great. great. He's funny, but yeah. as soon as I was there, I was like, that's, that's young Robert Downey Jr. to like, it was yeah. uncanny. Um, I love Maya Hawke. I think she's phenomenal. Maya Hawke. She's mm, my, yeah. as, almost as good as CDC. Also, got to say, Team Steve. 
team oh, Dave. Oh, I love him. Yeah, that's yes. what I mean. Drip, yes. drippy yes. trio with uh, with our guy. On do you know that. what I mean about the Russia stuff though? I think that's a big drag on it. I think they just didn't know what to do with some of those yeah. characters. Oh, I, think, not I think the whole Russia storyline is just a drag. I just, every time it cuts to him, I'm like, I don't yeah. care anymore. And then they did they they prolong it like oh, unnecessarily. Oh. oh my god, they yeah. didn't need that to do that. Did I not just need to do that. You could sum that up in about a ten minute catch up sequence. My partner was like, I wish he died. I wish he yeah. just And we lo- I loved him, you know, in, in previous I, I adore series, him. Yeah. And, and I love his growth and, you know, I'm sure that will redeem itself. I feel like when Una Ryder was just cross for seven hours, <laughs> seven plus hours, yeah. and yeah. that was about, they just didn't know what to do with half of it. Yeah. Bloody Fleabag arsehole had much more to do than she did. That's right, and he yeah. Was, he was great. I love him. He's great. He, he is. He's great. Really I can't remember the actor's name. Claire's husband. He's like borderline, yeah. he's borderline horrendous and yet just reigns it in yeah. just enough yeah. in this show. He's horrendous. Whereas in Fleabag, he's yeah. Hateful, he's he's yeah. peak Double evil. Yeah. 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 In that bit, but great in this. Um, and then the monologue. That monologue has aged me. There's a there's a monologue <laughs> in this that, that uh, it's in about. What episode? Four, I can't, I don't want to give it away. But there's oh, okay. a big monologue oh. towards the end oh. of, of this volume, and it aged me about seven years. Oh, I'm not, I a, fan. Like, <laughs> I'm I, not I, a fan of the um, overlong monologue oh, to explain. Things I feel like if you're going to give me that much exposition, like in Loki, like in that last episode of Loki. I was going to say at least give me Jonathan Majors well, eating an apple. He who, he who explains. Yes. Mm. yes. Yeah. But at least that, you know, it's Jonathan Majors eating an apple as opposed to James. But like, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, there was just a big, big, horrible, long monologue that just just pissed me off in the end. It it did not need to be that long. Um, But yeah, Yeah, it's it's fucking violent as well. Like it Mm. is horrible. I've seen, I've been watching a few scary shows lately. Like telly is just, (laughs) it's just a nasty place right now. Nasty. You know, there's the whole controversy about Will, character of Will, and whether he's gay or not. Have you have you read much about this? I mean, he's carrying Alan Turing fucking I know. school presentation. I know. <laughs> of course, of course, he is. But in in in, in interviews, and because they don't explicitly, I think it's because I imagine there's something as a payoff to come in the final two episodes that they're trying not to spoil. That's my guess. If they don't address it at all, then it's actually quite bad. But. Well, that's yeah. what some people are saying. But but he because he in interviews he said he likes the fact that they haven't explicitly. That could be misdirection though, because I feel like they, only, yeah. I, all I would say though, in defence of it, in a way, is he's only he's fourteen, right? Mm. And, and you know, in, in, and in the eighties, <laughs> I mean, you, ma- you make a fair point. I know, I know the actor. Like, yeah. Of course, that is the word. You oh, make a fair aged. point. Uh, what? Yeah, you but do my, make a fair point. But my point is, in the eighties, you know, well, he, he wouldn't necessarily, you know, n- declare himself to be anything, or you know, do you know it's, it's, it was a different time, yeah. and and it's a lot to deal with. He's had a lot to deal with generally <laughs> in life. Let's face it. Can I say when you mentioned the eighties, there's a bit in the previous season where Eric goes, "I'm not." And there's a bit in this where she goes, I'm 10. It's like, the fuck you are. Oh my God. (laughs) But I felt like with Will, I felt like his whole storyline is basically a metaphor. I mean, it's funny that they're using Freddy Krueger as like this blazing reference because a lot of that was about homosexuality. Yes, yes, yes. So, oh, no, um, well, the second one in particular. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I, I always thought that to a degree, yeah. Will's oh, storyline. Yeah. The whole storyline of being about being abducted, about being like the the one that feels completely isolated and alone yeah. from his group mm-hmm. of friends, was all to do with homosexuality. Much as you know, this is a raging metaphor for teen depression. You know, the the way that um, Vetna preys on the unhappy yeah. and turns the their insides mm-hmm. out, and yeah, um, it's kind of like oh, you didn't watch Big Mouth. It's a bit like Big Mouth uh, <laughs> to to make a weird Netflix. Uh, Comparison, but yeah, ups and downs for me. Ups yeah. and downs. Is... I, you know, I'm also thinking doing really well is Caleb McLaughlin as a Lucas going from the the dweeb to the jock, and and that his kind of like you know crossing that 
boundary, yeah. if you like, yeah. and how he still tries to cling on to the Dungeons and Dragons as well as playing basketball yeah. with those horrible jocks. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think that he's brilliant as well. I think he's he's fantastic. I remember yeah. I went on set of Stranger Things for um, pilot TV back in the, for season three, mm. and I got to interview all of them really. But he was really smart. Um, I yeah. remember thinking Caleb McLaughlin, and, they, and and like I think they found a really good storyline for him. Definitely um, better than some of the other storylines. One lines. of the best. Millie Bobby yeah. Brown. The interesting thing, Millie Bobby Brown. Sorry, I can go on about this all day. Yeah, because we we could do a spoiler special. We could, but and, the Millie and who Bobby, knows? Maybe we. You will. know, there are. I mean, I think it's safe to say there are rumours, and, and these are often unfair about her on set being difficult. Right. I mean, I think this has been you know mentioned in 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 you know dispatches. But I think, but she, I think she has to endure a lot. I mean, she has. Relentless suffering. She just in cried. This she cried. She's right. not a mm. but fair she's enough. Not she's been bullied horrendously. Yeah. Yeah. Those scenes of bullying are. Uh, they do remind me of Carrie, which I find you know incredible. Cece Spacek being brilliant in Carrie. Yeah. Her the, her being bullied in this has similar kind of vibe to, her, and she does. You know, she has to perform all that stuff. Yeah. Very distressing. And then she gets thrown into this whole, like, another yeah. prison. Um, It's difficult stuff. So it's yeah. almost like, if she is seemingly having a tough time on set, I'm no, no wonder every single scene she has to do is distressing. Yeah. I also found the the flipping between Millie Bobby Brown and weird CGI body double quite disconcerting. Because remember in the first episode, I was like, oh, it must be unused yeah. footage. And then it becomes apparent <laughs> quite quickly that yeah. it's facial mapping. But it, it's, it's very uncanny valley territory. Yeah, it but it's it. inconsistent when they yeah. use child 11 mm. and actual mm. 28 year old 11 or whatever yeah, she is yeah, now yeah. and it's just like what I, there didn't seem to be a consistent rule as to when you saw which but yeah it's fine yeah. it's a minor quibble it's a minor quibble yeah I think anyway I think we've just covered pretty much every show on television so should we should we move on I think we'll drop in this week's interview at this point you may of course know him as the White Lotuses, Armand, <laughs> as Tales of the City's Mouse, as Looking Storm, or most likely as Farscape's DK. <laughs> uh, whichever happens to be the case, Murray Bartlett is, it has to be said, an absolute legend. And he joins the cast of Apple's Physical for season two, where he joins Rose Byrne Sheila. She attempts to reinvent herself through the power of 80s aerobics. We've all been there. Uh, much to Beth's eternal ire. She was on her way back from Cannes when this interview <laughs> took place and wasn't able to hang out with Murray. Uh, so we sent Armand Warman in her place, and he not only got to all things physical and talks a little bit about Murray's upcoming role as Frank in the Last of Us TV show which I'm very excited about mm. but he might have sneaked in a little question from me there as well <laughs> oh God's uh, sake. I have listened to about this one White Lotus oh yes that's exactly what it was well, I mean, that's the subject we really need to know about yeah. in all seriousness of course carry on of course uh, this is Amon Woman versus Murray Bartlett we're delighted to be joined on the Pilot TV podcast by the star of Physical Season 2 Mr. Murray Bartlett how are you sir? I'm really great Greg glad to be talking to you I'm also glad to be talking to you. I'm really enjoying your work as, the, you. as Vincent in the show. It's really, really fun. What leapt out to you most about this character when you read him on the page? Um, I mean, well, first of all, I'm like, I was a huge fan of season one of the show. So like, I was kind of thrilled at the idea of um, jumping into it. Um, I also like grew up in the eighties. So, <laughs> you know, I, uh, so I, I have like a lot of nostalgia for that period and I have a lot of like reference points for characters like Vinnie Green. So it's like, it was very recognizable to me. And so, you know, I, the, those sort of fitness guru personalities of that time were so dynamic and so like fascinating, I think. Um, so there, there was that, um, the sort of the fun element of playing someone like that. And also like all the characters in the, in this show, 
He's like written in a really beautifully complex way where, yeah, you see this like fun, like dynamic uh, outward facing persona, but there's a lot going on underneath and some of it's pretty dark. And he's like, you know, he's, he's sort of covering over um, some pretty deep uh, stuff and, and, and demons. And, and, you know, the fact that that, there's the the sort of the the outward facing persona and the inner life that really aligns with the character of Sheila, which I just think is so it's such a beautiful setup for these characters to kind of be a bit competitive, but then like see a kindred spirit in each other and and connect on that level. It's it's just a it's a it's a, a beautifully kind of written relationship in that way. Your introductory scene is just incredible. I. <laughs> You know, Were you up and dancing? <laughs> I tell you, my head was bopping. I tell you that much. That's enough. That's you know. That's all. Yeah. That's, that's as far as we went. That's fine. Did you did you attend any classes to help prepare you for that? Um, and what tips did you pick up? I wish I had because I was like aerobics. That can't be that hard. And uh, it's actually a really great workout. Um, I realized as we were like rehearsing for that sort of. A uh, couple of weeks up to doing that scene, where I was like, "Man, I'm like, I thought I was fit, but this is uh, <laughs> this is a stretch." Um, but yeah, I so I mean, I'm relatively fit, but like, they picked a really fast song too for <laughs> for, that, <laughs> for my first the class that I'm leading. So it was like dynamic, man. It was, mm. uh, but also super fun. So you know, um, I definitely like also because we were we were rehearsing in masks so you're doing that like intense like uh uh aerobics uh routine um trying to breathe through this like you know triple ply kind of thing um but uh no it was it was uh it was sort of trial by fire in like like a a crash course in aerobics but super super fun Mm. and also like there's real keys to that character in just like inhabiting that kind of aerobics like just like physically doing that. So that was like super helpful and, and, and super fun. You can't, you can't help feeling that like, woo, when you're like <laughs> doing all this yeah. stuff, you know, yeah. so it was, uh, it was, it was great. It's part of that, the clothes you're wearing as well, because actors always say that the clothes help them get into character. And I'm imagining putting that gear on for the first time must've been a trip. Total trip. You're like, whoa, <laughs> really? Yeah. People wore this? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the amazing things about doing um, a, a show that's set in a period like this that's so fun and so specific um, and having an amazing costume designer, which this show has, um, to really kind of lean into that in a great way that supports character. And it's, you know, it you put that stuff on and you feel a certain way, like you can't help it. You put on those shorty shorts and like that mm-hmm. kind of mesh top and you're like, whoa, this is you it it's it's very helpful and um it's very helpful with character and it also really because i you know grew up in that era it really kind of places you in that that period in a really great way um but also yeah just super fun to like put on a jacket that's got massive shoulder pads and tassels you know like it's just kind of it's bizarre and fun and and very um yeah, it does really make you feel like you're in that period. So it was great. And speaking of the 80s, the show, the show obviously takes place in that decade. Is there anything from that era that you wish we had today? Um, 
Yeah, less dependence on like social media. <laughs> and um, you know, and and I don't know when mobile phones came in, but I, I think in the early 80s we didn't have them. Um I just I always remember things like, you know, mobile phones, the fact that, you know, I was not there were times where people couldn't contact you and the kind of freedom in that. Plus you're not always checking your email or your Instagram or whatever. I, I miss that. I also remember thinking, I remember like they started to introduce bottled water and I was like, that that's never going to take off. That's ridiculous. You know, like you get water out of the tap, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know. Some of those kind of simpler, more kind of um, yeah, just kind of the simpler stuff when we didn't have all the, I mean, for all the great things about having, you know, mobile phones and, and the technology that we have, there was something uh, about the way that you had private thoughts and like weren't just constantly distracted by things that I long for sometimes. <laughs> well, speaking of private thoughts, one of the unique things about this show is the inner voice, which we hear from Sheila uh, constantly over the course of the show. Uh, yeah. you, your character, Vincent, doesn't get to have that. But to what extent are you attuned to Vincent's in the monologue uh, as you prepare for this uh, show and as you sort of film the show? You know, I, I think that, um, I think he's very similar to, to Sheila in that I think he has an inner voice that just berates him and is kind of like, um, yeah, I think it's, I think you could pretty much, I think they're kind of like twin spirits in that way. And I think that's why they connect so strongly. So I, I took a lot of, cues from the way that we have come to know Sheila because I feel like Vinny has the same thing going on really you don't hear mm -hmm. it but like you in the way that they connect and the and the sort of revelations to each other about their sort of similar past traumas and kind of demons you realize oh this guy's like pretty much like her like they're there and that's partly why they connect so strongly but you yeah i don't know i i feel like he's uh they're both balancing this thing of like presenting this sort of dynamic like you know buoyant image to the outside world but they've got this sort of this inner world that doesn't always align with that or is you know often not aligning with that so yeah I, I i feel like they are kind of kindred spirits in that way i think his voice is similar to hers his inner voice i like that i want to i want to hear sort of vincent's inner monologue and sheila's inner monologue at the same time that'll be <laughs> kind of cool right right if you really yeah. interesting yeah yeah um, now, James Dyer, the host of this podcast, has forced me to drop in this question because he's a huge Farscape fan. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Speaking of, of the played... 80s, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> the 80s, but like it seems like the 80s. It was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, but you played DK uh, in that show, in four episodes of the show. Uh, what was that experience like? And did you get to meet any of the Muppet characters, specifically Dominar Weigel the 16th? Oh my God. I mean, I've got like a, a memory, like a sieve, so I'm not going to remember any of the names. Uh, but yes, I did get to meet some of those amazing characters. And I mean, yeah, it was, it was super fun and what an amazing world. I mean, Jim Henson's just such a genius and what an amazing world um, that was to kind of step into. Although my character, I mean, it was sometimes like a sort of a, a dreamscape kind of thing, but my character was, you know, pretty much always on earth or, you know, um, so I never got to go into the super cool kind of worlds that they had um, much, but, uh, but 
Yeah, I yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna blank on what the names of the amazing kind of creatures were that I got to meet, but um, and I met them mostly like in the makeup room, but like um, yeah, that was that was that was a cool world to be part of. Imagine, like it's one yeah. of the many shows he keeps going on. I mean, I'm on. Go watch this. Go watch this. <laughs> I so, mean, for you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fans of Farscape are like fans of Farscape. Like, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Another show which both me and James are very excited about is The Last of Us, uh, <gasps> which you yeah. uh, have been cast in. Um, were you a big fan of the video games beforehand, and what's it been like to film that show? I am not a gamer. I like, you know, as I, you know, I've sort of revealed that in my longing for the time before mobile phones. I'm not. I'm not very good <laughs> with technology. I wish I was because I think I'd really get into gaming. Um, mm. When that job came up, um, I obviously like dove in and and you know um, tried to gather as much information as po- possible and talk to a lot of people who are into that. Um, I mean, it's an amazing game and people connect to that game in a way that's so um, kind of profound from what I, the people I've talked to. Um, so, um, yeah, I was super excited to be, to be part of it. That, I mean, speaking of an amazing world to step into, like just um, phenomenal. Um, and it's, I mean, I was also, it's a, an incredible team that's working on that show. Um, there's some of the creative team that, that created, that amazing um, TV show Chernobyl, which I was a huge mm. fan of. It's it's and they're doing an incredible job, I think, on that show of of um, uh, creating this big world and also like really fleshing out the relationships in a beautiful way. I had a, a great great experience. Beautiful scripts and amazing. I you know I can't say anything about it because it's super secretive, <laughs> but I think I think you'll love it. I think they're doing it right, and um, it's going to be phenomenal. I cannot wait. Can yeah. you tell me if your character, Frank, has many scenes with Pedro and Bella Ramsey? No. <laughs> I had to ask. I had to, I had to try. Uh, <laughs> um, but, I, but I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. All I can say is, like, I, it's one of the most beautiful um, TV episodes I've ever read. It's gorgeous. And, um, yeah. So I, I, yeah. So I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you things, but it's okay. I, yeah. We're gonna end this interview in a few minutes, and then you can tell me off camera. We can't. We can't. We can Will it be off camera? Hmm. <laughs> you can trust me, Murray. I feel like we've established. Can I? We've just met. Good- <laughs> Really good chat. I feel like it I has. I mean, I feel like I know you. I feel like I can awesome. trust you, but that's there like I think maybe you might have Vinnie Greened me if, like, you know, <laughs> like you've got in there and like you know, open, you know, made me all emotional and made me kind of trust you, and then you're like, <laughs> go in for the kill. <laughs> that was the plan. Maybe you could tell me a little bit more about this show because I'm also excited about the immigrant you got coming up with Kumar Nanjiani. Very excited about that. What excites you most about that show? I mean, again, like late 70s, early 80s or sort of into the 80s, like an amazing period. Um, I think that show is just it's it's there's so many things that I'm excited about. It's incredible cast of wonderful people. Really great. Um, It's a great team um, on that show. Uh, And, you know, it's this like fun sort of campy world of the Chippendales. It's like, you know, male stripping team uh, troupe. but there's this really kind of dark underbelly that was going that I wasn't aware of. Um, there's a, a great docu series and, and a couple of podcasts which dive into this, you know, uh, the behind the scenes story of the Chippendales. That's like there's 
hits taken out on people. There's murder. There's, you know, like all this incredible kind of intrigue and this like this sort of story about particularly these two characters that are in in like sort of fierce competition with each other. It's a it's a fascinating story with like amazing characters set in this very kind of fun um, uh, world of the Chippendale. So I I think it's I. You know, we're halfway through shooting it, um, and I, I think it's going to be really fun and and uh, and you know, kind of surprisingly dark <laughs> uh, in in great ways. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for that, and I can't wait for you to tell me more about the Last of Us in a few seconds. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Thanks so much. Right, that was Murray Bartlett and time now for this week's listener question. Now, this week's listener question comes via a rather unorthodox method and that is uh, Lucy Heseltine uh, retweeted uh, a gentleman from, I think it was GQ, Benaldino uh, on GQ. I think it's GQ. Uh, and he yeah, had tweeted, GQ, yeah. okay, Stranger Things using Running Up That Hill has me thinking, what's the best use of music in film or TV? We'll just take the TV, thanks. We're not that kind of podcast. Uh, and why is it Hide and Seek by Imogen Heap in the OC? <laughs> now, I I can't tell if he's joking about the Hide and Seek thing. So yeah. I'm quite an Imogen Heap fan and I actually really like that track. But its use in the OC was fucking terrible. Well, it's used in my favourite Saturday Night Live sketch of all time. What, ridiculing this in particular? Or? Have you not seen the Saturday Night Live with Andy Samberg and I think it's Bill Hader. Is it? Yeah. And it's it's parodying the, the OC. Okay. And, and it's, oh, you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. It's the fucking funniest. It's just, People getting shot over and over again, and every time we're on the shot, the, the image and yes. he like kick starts again. It's almost as funny as the papyrus uh, Ryan Gosling sketch. It's it's really fucking funny, but yeah, it's a real parody. Uh, we're really sorry if that was a serious suggestion. It should come as no shock to you that I don't find Saturday Night Live very funny, but uh, I think you're like I, I will look at that. Live, I quite yeah. like Sergio. That's I mean, a, you that's can't I enjoy. just to say though, you can't say Saturday Night Live. It's a, a weekly an hour and a half, is it? You know, of sketches. You can't, no. you can't dismiss all of them. No, I mean, well, this, 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 every major comedy, comedy, comedic, comedy figure <laughs> in American history since the seventies yeah. has pretty much started. I'm just writing it all off. I'm writing it all off. Started with the same brush. Yeah. Steve Martin hates Steve yeah, Martin. Yeah, yeah, to be fair, I genuinely don't like Steve Martin, but that's oh all. Oh my I'm god, <laughs> have we ever discussed this? That is outrageous. We've discussed it on Empire before, but uh, okay. But 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 so this so so for anyone who doesn't know, this is the OC. This is the episode where Marissa shoots Trey, right. Ryan's yeah. brother, as he's yeah. about to hit him in the face with a phone, and then the gunshot. Sparks this image and heap song. Well, <laughs> exactly. I love it. And it's just, it's just, it's not that the song is bad because the song is great. It's just, it's such an odd transition from the gunshot to this song. Uh, it's a very strange thing. A very, very strange thing. That song, though, uh, also appears in, God, I can't think of something else, but I've, I forgot. It's, in fact, it's used in quite a few things, to be fair. It's quite a, a well a well used TV song. Mm. Um, but okay, hit me with yours. What are your musical moments? So we're ruling out musicals. So once more, with feeling is off the table. Sorry, Terry. Uh, so, so, I, uh, You've got to think about this because I do find strange things to one and fucking Iron Man have got a lot to answer for when it comes to <laughs> needle drops. I feel like 
if I were to critique Derry Girls at all, I think the final... <laughs> Boy's like, what? Boy's what? Like, How what? dare you? Hold Boy's on. literally Hold looked on. up for his laptop. I, I, I think the needle drops were just a little bit excessive towards the end. Thought just a, just you a can't few. have too many 80s bangers uh, back. It's not possible. It was, well, they're 90s, but... 90s. Uh, oh, good yeah, boy. Exactly. Yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. But oh, I, see, I picked a Derry Girls example. I, but, what, but what about the um, the Dario G sunshine? I the, mean, the, all a dance. That was wonderful. And on my list is is of course dreams from the cranberries, right, which is right. when you, you did admit. I zombie explained to you. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so that is that is on my my list <laughs> okay. from yeah. from the the season one finale, which I think is it just gets me every every bloody time. But I yeah, you've got to be careful with these because I feel like it's something the Handmaid's Tale is doing a little bit too much as well, where there's too many sort of slow my pictures of them sort of mm. running to kind of beat a man to death while there's like a breathy lord cover of like tears for fear always slow down slow down covers more upbeat that is such but a cliche yeah man. like yeah. breathy women you yeah. are 100% right like there's that thing that it'll be the tail end of a very special episode and you'll have that sort of montage of scenes set against this sort yeah. of slow droning yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. and you're right there are a lot of there are a lot of shows now that rely so much don't they on montages to kind of deliberately kitsch almost oh, music choices what's that show not the boys the opposite the others the umbrella academy the umbrella yes. academy so I tiffany remember. tiffany yes that was brilliant well i mean but i've just found it was just a relentless amount of similar there were a lot scenes of yeah there were just a lot too of much that was the best one though because sure. and they put that out ahead of the series so that was one of the promotional sure. things but that's genuinely brilliant where it goes to each of them in the different rooms oh, yeah, that was two, i think we're alone that now which and i believe i think we're alone now turned up in another show that year as well I just oh, can't I'm remember sure what it right. was yeah I'm sure you're um, right. two of the greatest shows of all time have brilliant needle drop moments the office the UK office of the the finale the Christmas special um, uh, has goes from back for good for, by take that at the Christmas party um, and then the big moment with Dawn and Tim kind of will, will they come together and will they kiss that builds up with Back for Good for Taylor and then it goes into Only You by Yazoo both songs absolutely brilliant choices particularly the Yazoo Only You one of the greatest songs of all time and one of the greatest scenes in all, all of TV history then the other one I wanted to mention was Queer as Folk the original Russell T Davies Queer as Folk um, all those years ago has a brilliant sequence the morning after Stuart Allen Jones played by Aidan Gillen um, has sex with Charlie Hunnam's um, Nathan he drives Nathan to school remember he's 15 years old I mean how daring was that and um, um, Sexy Boy plays over the soundtrack and oh by air yeah there's mm. a brilliant sequence where he drives him in his jeep and to the thing and all the school kids are like stunned and shocked because this hot man is 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 dropping off this schoolboy he's had sex with at school and it's brilliantly done um, and a brilliant choice of songs so those are my two all time classic shows all time classic scenes all time classic songs okay okay I'm going to drop in just one quickly well I'm going to an honourable mention I would say to another Imogen Heap so Hallelujah which is obviously one of the most overplayed songs oh. in existence <laughs> but Imogen Heap does a cover of Hallelujah when Marissa is her self-killed in the OC so you know that's a thing um, but I was going to pick uh, and I know it feels a bit first base but uh, Baby Blue by Badfinger obviously the very end of Breaking Bad which is magnificent you know it was either that or Crystal Blue Persuasion for the meth montage but I think that that one is is magnificent also a big fan of do you know um, uh, what's he play Bonfire by Knife Party when he, remember when he buys the sports car for him mm. and for Walt Jr mm. and they end up like he ends up pulling donuts in that car park and stuff and going completely bizarre like I thought Oh, that was a great that was a great track oh, yeah, that's good song. um gotta get up gotta get out gotta get up <laughs> i didn't realize we were performing them yeah, yeah wow we we you know right. coming free so that in russian doll 
yes. over and over. Over and over and, and over, over again. And over it's again. no Sunny and Cher from Groundhog Day, but yes, it, it works. <laughs> I mean, it is a testament that I don't hate that song <laughs> because it is used, yeah. obviously, very liberally. Um, but yeah, that's a big one for me. Uh, I was going to say, I can't even remember what it's called. <laughs> uh, Mad Men's got some excellent needle drops. And oh, yeah. what's, the, what's the last song called in Mad Men? Oh, in Mad Men, no, I like the, the Coca-Cola song. Yeah. I like to um, teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Yeah. It's the real thing, whatever yeah, the song yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so good. I can't remember what it's yeah. called, but that was, that's kind of like... That is a magical moment. That's yeah. a magical moment and obviously quite chilling as well yes. because he can't leave. He can't leave that world. Mm. That's always quite bittersweet, but there's some excellent uh, needle drops in that show. Could I just say, because you mentioned the Russian doll thing, this is the alarm tone that I have on my phone when I need to set it as an alarm. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, God. Cut to start at the perfect place. I mean, you are basically Bill Murray in that film, so. <laughs> <laughs> but without the redemption arc. <laughs> uh, right. I, didn't, I, didn't agree. <laughs> didn't agree, didn't disagree. <laughs> You're just going to leave that. Okay, fair enough. All right, I'm going to drop another couple more. Uh, so we mentioned Hallelujah. I'm going to drop in another Hallelujah. This is, of course, being the Jeff Butley one. But if you're going to pick one use of that, painfully overused song it would be in Posse Comitatus season 3 of the West Wing when a certain character dies and a certain <laughs> other character finds out that character had oh. to, I don't know why I'm doing like as if this is a spoiler it's been fucking 20 years <laughs> um, but that's that's some powerful stuff actually uh, New York Minute is used particularly well in uh, Someone's Going to Emergency Someone's Going to Jail uh, which is the Sam Seaborn episode that's a, that's a oh, good yeah, one that is brilliant mm. yeah uh, I'm like googling um, I've uh, got I'm just going to say Halston. Do you remember Halston, which I had issues with? <laughs> yeah, right, don't, the miniseries. Don't bring the. Don't bring him into this. What? Don't bring him into this. Halston, why? You know why. You know who he is. Don't bring Ryan Murphy into my. Oh, Ryan Murphy. You see what you've done. Sorry, sorry. You see what you've done here. Well, all I'd say is that ends. There's in in the finale of um, Halston. There's a brilliant use of Cocteau Twins Pearly Dewdrop Drops, Mm. which is one of my favourite songs of all time. Okay. Um, But that's kind of the greatest thing about the whole series. Then I'm gonna. I'm throwing in. Right here we go. I'm throwing in the OA. Of course you are. (laughs) Of course you are. I mean, how I'd already in season two of the I'd already it's already become my favorite show ever. Then in season two, there's a scene where they bring an ordinary world by Duran Duran, <laughs> which is Duran Duran's greatest song, even better than their the songs at their height in the eighties. This is their nineties genius song, mm. absolutely brilliant. And it's used, I think it's used in it's like a dating sequence. Do you remember? Absolutely brilliant. So I was incredibly excited that the greatest show of all time had used one of the best songs <laughs> of all time. Um, the Americans. First episode, I think. Remember the Americans, which is for many people is one of the greatest shows of all time. That's, that's a show that I struggle with. I've I've wow. started season two four times now, <laughs> and I've stopped again. I need to start it again. I, mean, I ne- yeah, I mean, I I dropped out about halfway through, but I'm ne- never. It, Phil Collins in the air tonight is used brilliantly. Yeah. in that first episode. even better than the way Phil is used in the inexplicable Halo trailer, which ends with ah! Phil Collins. <laughs> I think that's another breathy slow cover. Isn't it, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Oh, this is the actual, actual real <laughs> actual film. Proper yeah. film, not Halo film. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, and then I might have my, fi- my final one, my favourite um, montage to music of, is it this year or was it last year? Midnight Mass. Was that last year? Yeah, last That's year. last year, yeah. Year. Um, uh, Mike Flanagan's brilliant, brilliant yeah. um, uh, horror series. Neil Diamond, Holly Holy. That in episode three, I think, is an extended montage. It pretty much plays out the whole song. It's one of the greatest songs also of all time. I've said that for every song I've mentioned. <laughs> but because everyone's doing like, you know, other Neil, Neil Diamond songs. Yeah. You know, we know it's overused Neil Diamond songs. It's This is an absolute 
golden nugget of a Neil Diamond song and the way it has a choir and strings and builds up yeah. spectacularly. It matches the theme of the series. He uses a two or three different Neil Diamond songs throughout the whole series, but that is the greatest one. Holy Holy, episode three, genius. Wonderful. Uh, two from the Leftovers. Ah, uh, yeah. Where Ooh. Is My Mind? Yes. Obviously. And uh, Homeward Bound. Homeward Bound? Homeward Bound. You see Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. On the karaoke. Um, and one cover I will allow was Trent Reznor and Atticus... Finch. Is that? Is it? It's Atticus Finch from um, To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Such Atticus, confidence. Yeah, didn't I didn't know I said that with Atticus. absolute conviction. And Atticus. Atticus Finch, he, he yeah, collaborates yeah. with Nine Inch Nails in the lesser known cut of To Kill a Mockingbird. Atticus Ross. That's Atticus it. Atticus Ross. That's it. That's the kind of thing I would have done. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see the? Did you see the? I lighted like a, a, a Jedi mind trick. I said it was such conviction. You you questioned yeah. for a second. You were yeah. like, "Is it? Maybe it is." Yeah. The dementia yeah. is spreading. Yeah, that's all I can say. Oh, that's, yes. that's the power of conviction. Yeah. But their cover of anyway, their cover of life on Mars in Watchmen is incredible. Oh God, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Incredible. yeah, yeah, that yeah, is yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's there awesome. are so many. I must admit, like when when these things are done well, they are just magnificent. Yeah. I want to chuck in a few, some slightly random ones. I remember the first time I think I was introduced to Coldplay's Clocks was during one of those montages at the end of ER, and it's yeah. always stuck in my head. <laughs> it is always stuck in my head that when they play the entire song end to end mm. to various doctors titting about in the hospital. Um, <laughs> that's all they do. Don't that's you? all they do. Uh, I will say the use of share at the end. She was walking in Memphis at the end of postmodern Prometheus, that black and white, completely deranged, batshit Frankenstein episode of the X-Files. Uh, it's, that's incredible. Um, I'm surprised, Boyd, you didn't mention Nina Simone for Sherlock, Cinnamon, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. when Moriarty's arrested. Yeah. That's good, a good yeah, one. Good. But for me, like, you know, I the ones that I really want to put up there would be um, Don't Stop Believing, not Glee. Sorry, we're not crossing the Ryan Murphy line here but the finale of Sopranos and not specifically because the way he times in the lyrics to fit when Carmella walks in to fit when Tony walks in and even when he's talking about old Detroit even the mix goes down so you can't hear those words because that doesn't fit the narrative it's really carefully chosen that song is I think that works really well Uh, I will say um, Way Down in the Hole the Tom Waits song which plays for every season of Beth's favourite show The Wire Uh, but the first season cover by the Blind Boys of Alabama Incredible. I went and saw them at the Jazz Cafe in Camden. They Bloody didn't play hell. that song and I was fucking furious. <laughs> That's brilliant. But, uh, but genuinely, like that, that song is so powerfully used in that show. And then the last one, which is absolutely my number one on this, this is my absolute favourite, is uh, Bear McCreary's cover of All Along the Watchtower from Battlestar Galactica. Uh, and it's the way the motifs from that song are threaded through several episodes and then they build and build and build to this crescendo and it becomes a part of the narrative where that song is what's calling the kind of hidden Cylon characters together and when they're finally united for the first time I mean let's skate over the fact that who they actually are makes no sense at all Uh, but the fact that song kind of builds up and you get the whole song as they're kind of looking at each other and they're recognising each other and I've rarely seen a song A, be so well chosen but also just work into the fabric of the show Mm. so well as that I thought that was great what was the show recently that featured that had a whole big storyline about the Smiths and there's a light that never goes out? Um, oh my God. Oh, 
It was a woman's name. Yes. She had like a, yes. Was it like, it wasn't Rebecca, was it, obviously? Tiffany. No. No, no it didn't work that time. Oh, well, <laughs> um, <laughs> you going to yell women's names <laughs> It was like... Yes, you're right. Sally or something. It's Sally, yeah. Oh, um, it was like oh, a West, it was West Country, like... Um, yes, yes. Ingrid, Ingrid Goes West Country, I called exactly, it. Exactly, What yeah. was it? Did you like how it came out when I said Sopranos? <laughs> Oh, well, that's Sopranos. Like, no, that's Sopranos. It's great. That? <laughs> Don't stop believing Sopranos. I, I can't, I can't disguise it when I say that show's name. It's really annoying. That's hilarious. Um, Chloe. 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 There you go. Have <laughs> we finished now? Uh, no. Yes, I'm. Uh, I think we have answered that question. There are obviously many more, and I'm sure I will be kicking myself at half of the ones that we'll undoubtedly get suggested. <laughs> if you would like to kick in your favourites, please do send them to all three of us on Twitter. Um, we can have a big old discussion about it there. But uh, you know, we are not comprehensive with these things. We're just making it up as we go along. And if you have a question, then do send it to us at Pilot TV Pod, Twitter, Instagram, Semaphore, whichever you like. Let's go on to. I don't know, the news section, or rather a few things that happened in the middle of last week's section, to be strictly accurate. So, who wants to kick off with some completely non-timely news? Well, um, the uh, talking of Stranger Things, the I think the phenomenon of, and, and this whole needle drop discussion, really the news climax of it, is that the Kate Bush song at the end of season... Mm. Is charting. Is, is number one. Is it number one now? Number one That's in the wild. American iTunes yeah. chart. Oh, okay. I think it's number one globally as well. Last time I looked, which was last night, it wasn't number one yet in, mm. in, the, in the British iTunes chart, which I think maybe because I think Kate Bush is much more known. I think probably, this is an incredibly random thing to say, but I think probably a load, that millions of people who watch Stranger Things have already got Running up, running up that hill by Kate Bush, and don't need to buy it again. So you're saying Americans were unfamiliar with the song. I think they're less familiar. It's mm. younger audiences, and it's younger definitely audience, yeah. younger audiences. Um, but that is brilliant. I like. I just love the fact that Kate Bush is going to make loads of money out of this <laughs> br- brilliant use of her yeah. brilliant yeah. song. If you like, there's a lot of brilliance in that sentence. Apologies, um, but yeah, that was a fantastic thing. And there's another news story about Strange Things, which is Netflix is saying it's officially its most watched show already this series um, uh, don't they say that about every yes, show at the moment they do but Netflix top 10 Stranger Things breaks all time record with 287 million hours Jesus. viewed that is what they're saying um, so it's the biggest ever premiere weekend of an English language series previously held by Bridgerton season 2 and season 4 yeah watched by that number of people and that's after only three days of availability. But I mean, whatever, even if even if the figures are you know mm. misleading and they have their own unique way of measuring yes. these hours. If you walked past a TV in someone right. else's house that happened to be showed it, that's right. a view. What yeah. is cl- absolutely clear is that Stranger Things is their biggest show. Yeah, and you know, and it must be slightly gutting that it's coming to an end of season five because they need all the hits they can get, and it will stop at season five. One can only imagine. Can you imagine the talks they must be having about spin-off shows? I mean, there's oh, so many. Yeah. Spin-offs yeah. and things they could do. I think they're very. I mean, if these run times, these cursed <laughs> run times, are suggesting anything, they're building up for, if not a Stranger Things film, this is the Duffer Brothers pitching for movies now, isn't it? Like their their longevity as, as yeah. film directors is definitely coming through in like the scale of the show now. And if anything, that scale is setting us up for spin-offs. There's a there's a moment in one of these, I don't want to spoil too much, but it feels decidedly Amblin uh, <laughs> involving a house and the inhabitants of that house that feels like it is set up for a spin-off. Yeah, and if it is, I'm going to be pretty pissed. If <laughs> <laughs> the episodes are two and a half hours long. Yeah, I yeah. Not, well, yeah. not even that. I will not be watching okay. seven hours. Fine. Of, I mean, um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's good timing for them because the, the, obviously they've they've had issues, but to have a massive, huge, big smash hit, their biggest ever show yeah. back is is I'm pleased for them. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad you are. Yeah. Yeah. Massive ensemble yeah. show three years after. Uh, it's almost like. They could have done that with uh, Glow, but uh, yeah, or, or the or OA, the OA. The, the one OA. of the greatest TV shows yeah. of all time, yes. which only got two seasons. Yeah. But yes. you know, we're not bitter, are we, Boyd? It's no. fine. I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, go to Boyd's blog if you would like to find out how the show ends via his fan fiction. Boyd's um, <laughs> Maybe I'll do Boyd's. Blog. You should do Boyd's Substack. conclusion to it. Join Substack. That's what it would be. Yeah, you should. Substack. Oh, I, I, you know what? I'm going to give a shout out to Substack while we're here. Our formerly of this parish, our very own Terry White, has her own Substack yes. now. It is called White Noise and you can find it on the Substacks. Uh, and okay, it's great. Starts doing a podcast are, we, are you going to publicise that no. as well? No, I mean you, <laughs> I mean, you make a valid point. <laughs> yeah. like, we're like, do you know what? I'm quite absurd sometimes so probably but uh, no, yes good, she's yeah. and she's writing about film and TV on her Substacks. If you want to hear more of her you know, snagging me off and stuff then <laughs> you go and find it there. Um, what else has been happening? So lots of Star Wars stuff we kind of covered very briefly. I don't think we really need to revisit it at this point. We covered it briefly during our drop-in last week. I will say Moses Ingram, who plays Reva in Obi-Wan, has taken an awful lot of shit Ugh. from oh. the vile twats yeah. in Star Wars fandom. And it's just, it's so exhausting. Yeah. Also, she's the best thing in it. Yeah, she's, she's very, funny. very, very she good. Is. Yeah, She's yeah. absolute, yeah. you know, she's the shining light of that whole show. And I, it's, it's, it's actually, it, like, it makes me sad because I interviewed Kelly Marie Tran before uh, Rise of Skywalker came out. And you've never, she's the nicest person alive yeah. as well. and you've never met someone so enthusiastic and just full of just like sheer just ebullience at just being yeah. in ebullience. part of Star Wars ebullience <laughs> and being part of Star Wars she was so excited about it and she was so enthusiastic and then I did her again before Rise of Skywalker and fuck me was she different like just the way she turns because she'd been treated so abominably mm. by this sort of incel contingent that yeah. loves Star Wars and that's someone who has Star Wars in his DNA I take real objection to these kind of people thinking that they own Star Wars I think we can all agree I own Star Wars <laughs> fuck off uh, but do you know what I mean it's just like she was I mean look yeah. you can say that her and Finn's storyline in the, the Last Jedi maybe wasn't the strongest part of that film and I think that's fair comment but that's not why she took shit and it's not why Moses Ingram is taking shit either and it's just you know it's just but this is it doesn't make any I mean it's just race, racist it's just racism it, no there's no yeah. logic to it there's no logic to it illogical and stupid because mm. her character is great and is providing a lot of the interest of the show I think for a lot of people, and she's uh, the performance is brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Can I just say, I'm going to take this opportunity to say, I think I was slightly too harsh to the actress who plays Princess Leia in <laughs> Obi Wan Kenobi. Don't and leave now, me. Now, Don't leave me out here. Oh, I felt slightly. Well, I just, well, funny enough, I just read lots of reviews after we did our very quick insert review that we didn't have that much time to prepare for last week. And people are going, like, she's brilliant. And I'm like, is she? And then I did go back and have a quick look at some of the stuff in episode two. I think she's, there are bits where she's better. I mean, I think she's still variable, right? But I feel I felt did feel bad. But you know that surprise. Some of the reviews are like literally pointing out how brilliant she is. I'm like that is that is weird because okay. I didn't get that sense. So, and then right. I felt you know I've been too harsh. Carry and on. And then you just left me out here. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I haven't completely done a reverse fair. It's just a slight. <laughs> Beth, I am. Similarly, I at least have one foot on the same ledge that you're on here. Okay. Like, so I, I, this, this, so we've just seen the most recent episode of Obi Wan Kenobi, the third episode. She is less irritating in this <gasps> than she was in the second one. The second one, I could happily have thrown her off I a rooftop. Have, but, oh my God. I mean, no, genuinely, like, I was not on board with that. But she's, you were going to Lannister, that girl. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> the things we do for love of Star Wars. Uh, but I, I, no, I just, I couldn't be dealing with it. This one, and the third one, I found her less. Grating. She right. was actually okay. Fat. Okay. More. I had more issues with Obi Wan's behaviour and general 
Bellendery in this one. But that is a conversation with the Spoiler Special podcast, which we're recording later on today. Uh, but I will say, like, a, there's a lot of fan service in this third episode, a lot. And certain people in the Empire office have been like heralding it as one of the greatest things ever. Thanks, I was Travis. much, much cooler on that than You're they very were. difficult to please. Though. I am hard to please. You have your own little, like, rules about what is acceptable <laughs> or not acceptable in the Star Wars universe. It's so, like, I mean, I'm completely, I think you're completely wrong about that last film. I really like that last film. So, you know, oh, let's not get uh, Hang on, what? Yes. You're defending no, the rise of Skywalker. This, this, this is not the yes. time when the place Right, I'm cancelling the rest of the Pilot TV podcast. On, we're getting into this. Is no. it Ben on uh, your, in the Empire stuff? Yeah. He's the champion of it. God, it's yeah. you and Ben. No, I didn't realise there was more than one person dying on that particular hill. Absolutely 100% with Ben. Oh my! It's a proper film. It's a good film. Oh, much better than loads oh, of those moments. No, we can't lower oh my, my strength. Oh my can't god! Do this. I just can't. I can't even. <laughs> this is so upsetting. <laughs> Sorry. Apologies. Uh, news. News. Uh, yes. Yes. There's a there's a a trailer for American Gigolo that I haven't watched yet, but will be as oh, soon as this. I haven't watched it. Um, ep- this recording is done. And to be clear, this is not Deuce Bigelow three. <laughs> this is uh, John John Bernthal, uh in the lead. Looks very exciting. I will be watching the hell out of that. That is uh, exciting. I love the film. I love that film. Yeah, love it's the such film. a brilliant film, isn't it? Um, I think he's going to be great in that. What else has happened? So, uh, Alicia Debnam Carey is leaving Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, I mean, I left a while ago, so I'm yeah. <laughs> not overly concerned about that. Ooh. The good fight's ending. Sorry. Uh, no. Did you not? Do you not have feelings about I the good fight? Ending? I haven't watched it yet. No. Well, I, I must admit, I checked out of that as well. Oh, fair, Sorry. Fair. Sorry yeah, same. One. Which was a really great show, though. It was. A wildly entertaining um, thing, which I really do need to catch up on. But sorry, Beth, you weren't going to say the other good fight. What were you going to say? Uh, something uh, that is exciting me, uh, first look was revealed this week for a show called Red Rose, which is yes. a BBC horror from the makers of Sex Education, oh. which sounds pretty... Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah. yeah. And not featuring anyone particularly that I've heard of. No, it's a lot of newcomers. But also yeah. excites me because think about, well, you think about how fucking well the cast of that show have gone on, like going off to do extraordinary things. So I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, let me just see. Set over a long, hot summer following high school, the teens' friendships, high schoolers uh, are infiltrated by the Red Rose app, which blooms on their smartphones, threatening them with dangerous consequences if they don't meet its demands. The app exposes the group to seemingly supernatural entity and the seductive power of the dark web. I mean, that sounds pretty great. BBC Curse, though, they never write young people well. Well, so... I mean, instantly, the idea that it's based on apps and the dark web has the whiff of middle-aged people writing kids. But I, hey, but it's got sex education folks behind it. Well, so... quite, and that that and they write young people spectacularly. Yes. So yes, yes, better than I knew myself as a young person. So yes, I think that gives me hope. Um, definitely. How are you feeling about True Detective Season 4? Yeah, oh, Jodie Foster, I mean, mm. yes, could, not be, could not be more excited by a bit of casting. Absolutely. She was great in The Mauritanian. I didn't love that film totally, but I loved her performance in she it. She was fantastic. Um, yeah. She's always yeah. phenomenal. I mean, oh, she's yeah. been in some mediocre films, yeah. but she is always absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, and she's done a lot of directing, hasn't she, yeah. recently? But um, the fact that she's going to be the lead... Role, yeah. True Detective makes me tired, though. Just even thinking well, it's about very it makes variable. me tired. The first season was absolutely yeah. genius, and then the, the second season, season classic. Was second not. season was a complete <laughs> fuck up. Third season was pretty good. I thought yeah, it was better. I didn't watch it in the end. I would it was like too to. long. I didn't finish right. it. It was stretched. It was stretched, but it was pretty intriguing stuff. Yeah. Um, so, but Jodie Foster, I'll watch Jody it with Jodie Foster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%. completely. Yeah. 100%. 
Alright, I'm going to suggest we retire news simply because this is not news and many, many things will have happened between us recording this and this going out. So let's just pretend that we know about that and we're just not talking yeah. about it. Uh, so let's move on to reviews and let's begin with The Boys. Uh, this is season three of The Boys. Prime Video's outrageous kind of satirical send-up of the superhero genre, uh, which obviously sees Carl Urban's Billy Butcher and his team attempting to take down the soups, principally Anthony Starr's Homelander, who I have to say is even more unhinged this season than ever before. Uh, also, there's a new addition in the form of Jensen Ackles' Soldier Boy. Now, if you'll recall uh, what Boyd said about Amazon's recent preview event, Showrunner Eric Kripke described the first episode of this new season as, I think he actually said, the most shocking thing that's ever been on television. Now, I don't know that's the case, but I definitely know where he's coming from. Uh, tell us about The Boys. The Boyd. Well, um, I <laughs> Thank was... you for that charity laugh. I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm laughing at what's about oh, fine. Boyd's um, like... <laughs> I Yeah, I was absolutely fascinated by um, what this what this big, most outrageous thing that's happened in TV history thing is going to be. I was thinking it can't possibly live up to the hype, but it does. So, yeah, I think it's 11 minutes in yeah. um, to this opening episode. We are introduced to, I think it's a new character, isn't it? Termite. We haven't seen Termite before, as far as I'm aware. We have not. And Termite is like Ant-Man, basically. Yes. What I love, about, in, in parenthesis, what I do, one of my, my favourite thing about the boys, actually, is how their parodies and pastiches and satires on popular culture, yes. particularly the Marvel films, are very And, these, and the DC characters as well, because obviously DC the characters. Seven is essentially the Justice League. Of course, yeah. sure. They're very, like, now and currently, they keep them very, they refresh it quite quickly, yeah. like, considering it's based on graphic novels and that were, that were out years ago. So the Termite version of Ant-Man is hilarious. This thing, it's a, it's a man who can who reduce himself to the size of a Termite <laughs> slash an ant. And the first glimpse of him is in one of those soup sex parties they had one in the, it was the first or second episode of, of season one I think pretty much yeah. where this character is having sex with what looks like a Barbie doll to me in front of a crowd like urging him on so this tiny little fella who's like an inch tall or whatever is having sex with a oh, few, well, few inches tall he's having sex with a Barbie doll he then retires to another room with his boyfriend effectively with his lover who and I'm not going to go into detail because it's almost too extraordinary yeah. and rude can I say it, that it passes a different kind of bell <laughs> <laughs> absolutely can okay. oh well let's God. just say then that after we're after that opening shot where you're introduced to Termite <laughs> he then engages in a scene of adult behaviour <laughs> with his pop boyfriend partner whatever with a dude in a room which is I guarantee you, and I am an aficionado of you know what has been, hasn't hasn't been shown on TV before. This has you never seen the no, like of this on TV no, before. No. This, <laughs> what then no. follows? So it absolutely met the um, hype from the uh, creator of the show in that thing that I went to. It was jaw droppingly outrageous and gratuitous and graphic. Uh, let's just say the CGI, um, whoever I'd love to, I want to be, I, I'd be fascinated in the behind the scenes of that sequence yep. of how they, <laughs> how they planned it. You know, the previs moments, oh my God. the everything about it. I want to be in that writer's room. Man. Right. Yeah. The right. The yeah. right. Everything about yeah. it is absolutely unbelievable. And what is interesting is that it somehow gets away with it, the whole show. And then, then proceeds. I've, so I've watched a few of the episodes of the new series. 
And I believe, I haven't got to it yet, but you have watched it. I believe there's another big sex party thing in episode six, right? Herogasm. Yeah, so yes. I've read about the herogasm <laughs> thing that happens in episode six where all kinds of... Oh, my God. there's lots of p- penis action. You I are mean, not we thought prepared. Euphoria, we thought Euphoria <laughs> were taking a biscuit when it had won the show when it comes to penis shots. This show has gone well beyond them because there's loads of dick shots anyway in that in this first, in the sequence I'm talking about, yeah. 11 minutes in. But what's fascinating to me about it is that the tone of the show is so demented mm. and um, giddy and kind of heightened and and kind of, I guess, comic booky in a cartoony that it gets away with it, with stuff somehow. And it doesn't seem quite as, I don't know, it doesn't seem quite as gratuitous and pathetic as, as it might to me. It's like I went along with it. I kind of enjoyed, I enjoyed the outrageousness that what it's doing, I find quite entertaining. Mm. And others will go, oh my God, don't be ridiculous. This is just too much. You, you know, this is... It walks the line, but you're right. The tone is I think the tone is what perfect. makes it... So it's almost like, even though these are the one, some of the most weird, worst things you've ever seen <laughs> on TV, and it's kind of the same for the violence as well, in a way. Yeah, and it's massively violent. Right, has a brilliant line in creative swearing as well. <laughs> yeah, there's loads of see, see, there's loads of effing and jeffing and seeing in yeah. this. An extraordinary amount of that. Um, as Helena Har always says, whenever you, if you touch upon it in the uh, Empire podcast, which you sometimes do, the exploding heads thing. I mean, they've got to dial it down a little bit. <laughs> there were more exploding heads and bodies and humans and entrails. He loves an entrail, doesn't he? He does love an entrail. I mean, there's, I mean, just, just we don't need that many. It's just like five or six in the opening episode alone. I counted. Well, it's funny, and I wondered whether there's. It almost feels like, and it, I'm sure it has absolutely nothing to do with it, based on when the show was produced. But, but like, it almost feels like they're having a game of one-upmanship with like Peacemaker it's like they, they set yeah. the bar yeah. then Peacemaker did yeah. its thing and they're like oh yeah. I'm sorry yes. you, you've seen right. nothing yet yeah. because the tone for this is slightly different to Peacemaker but I think right uh, and this is my point I think the tone of this I think this is more interesting and I think actually this gets away with it much more than Peacemaker because it's because of the whole satire on media coverage of these characters and media coverage and how the whole culture is swamped with superheroes mm. and celebrities it's done doing a lot it's, it's satirising a lot of things at the same time the celebrity culture that of course celebrities I think it's, it's got a point with that when you read about celebrities and their private lives some of them um, that they're almost driven to outdo themselves in their behaviour what they get up to privately if you like and that touches upon that very quite quite cleverly and I think it is a I think there's a truth to that that you know if you can do anything if you have that entitlement you can do anything in life as these the superhero characters do like termite for example mm-hmm. um then you're going to do the most outrageous things you can possibly think of and I think it so there's, there's a logic to it as well as it being undeniably gratuitous and ridiculous and over the top so this is quite a long-winded way of saying I I, I do enjoy the show I think I I, I think I'm appreciating more now in this third season it's um what it's trying to do that i have done so far i've always been a little bit like i I like some of it i don't like other bits i think it treads the line and you know i'm not sure if i care i don't think it's that heart and soul i think which i've always found missing to some extent it's hard to do a show that's this gratuitously Mm. like um giddy and over the top and expected for us to care about people involved at the same time but I care a bit or I just find it I'm definitely involved in it like more than I have been I think somehow in this third season so I'm kind of, I kind of I kind of liked it, yeah. And 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 you know, if you want the mo- plum- plumbing, either reaching the heights or plumbing the depths of the most extreme things you can think of on TV, <laughs> yeah. this is the show for you. And I kind of am that person. I find it fascinating what you can and can't get away with, and it, it really is going for it. I think Beth may disagree. We'll find out. <laughs> 
I'd never seen the boys before. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to have been a fly on the wall. Never seen the boys before. So to go from the the kind of primer, which was just heads exploding. Yeah. A a little bit of 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 kind of a a stab at heart, I guess, is what they were going for. There's something to do with a a father son relationship and just a lot of exploding. And then it, the cameo is—is is that a regular person in that show? Yeah, the cameo in the in the in the film version of the no, that, well, that's that, a cameo. That cameo. was a, that's yeah. a proper like, that's oh a shit, proper, yeah. yeah. So there was that, yeah. And then we basically went from that to what Boyd has just <laughs> yeah. skirted gracefully around, but alluded to being like the most wild and violent sexual encounter, really. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was exhausting. I think it was probably, and it, after a while, I did just just give up trying to understand what was going on. You really are. I think this is definitely a show for for a what now must be a big fan base, like a big committed fan. Like I, I, I fully appreciate people go absolutely bananas for this show, but to come in with my unique, <laughs> because why the fuck else would I be watching season three without watching any Fair. other episodes of it? So to come in with my unique kind of eyes for this, it did feel like gratuity for gratuity's sake. And it does feel like it's in competition with other violent shows. So it did feel like, okay, how can we take their breath away this time? How can we do this? How can we out James Gunn, Peacemaker? Mm. How can we... Whereas, you know... And then there's this kind of like Barry-esque commentary about the entertainment industry and the kind of monsters that kind of operate within that world. Um, So I was seeing the kind of gnarliness of Peacemaker and their minus the heart and then the kind of satirical, grim commentary on the entertainment industry minus Bill Hader. So I was just seeing kind of this weird bloody amalgamation of like horror and comedy but without the kind of fabric of the rest of the show underneath it so I came out tired slightly perplexed and toying with the idea of seeing the other two seasons but we'll probably just watch Big Boys again <laughs> it is exhausting <laughs> to be honest I mean it is exhausting that, that opening which just heads exploding yeah. it, it's it's operatic yeah. like yeah. it is operatic in scale and, and violence like I wasn't wrong when I said at the beginning of the book nasty tally now nasty yeah. stuff mm-hmm. everywhere yeah. and also we should say Carl Urban's Carl Urban's accent is still terrible oh my but, god I mean, it's, it's so, so terrible. It's, it's magnificent and no, I don't know I love it I love him and, and yes he doesn't sound like an actual English person but that's neither here nor there like you just grow to love him as Billy Butcher he's just funny and if only because he's so wonderfully caustic all the way through it well again but- coming in as a brand new spanking newbie I was just like because he was he's throwing Union Jack darts at one stage and I was is. like no that's when the penny dropped and that was a decent way into that episode when I was like yeah. oh he's supposed to be British because he also does the big the big bugbear for me which he mispronounces twat um, yeah. As well, as twat, twat it's, it's as twat. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. His his accent is an absolute disgrace, and it reminds <laughs> you just how good Thingy's accent was in, um, you know. Thingy's what's thing it? Accent. Thingy's accent, thing you know. Accent. Right, okay, love it. Thing, you know. <laughs> St- Stephen Grant, yes. are you referring yes. to Steve- yes. Stephen? I mean, that from is like genius yeah. accent in comparison. Yeah. If you do, have you seen the, the sort of B-roll footage of him between takes, maintaining it when he's talking to crew members? <gasps> it's oh. delightful. Oh, I'm going to watch that. Yeah. But yeah, so. I'm sure when it first aired in, I'm looking at the IMDb page 2019, it was cutting edge. I'm sure it had that real shock factor to it. Um, 
And, you know, there's already that inbuilt fan base with the graphic novels. But I feel like now, three years later, even within just the space of those three years, shows have come up and said things that they've probably already said first, but I just haven't seen it. So I'm just coming in and I'm seeing think, snatch bitch from other, which yeah. I'm not saying they've, of course not saying they've stolen or done anything different. I've just perhaps seen it more elegantly told or, or more kind of um, with more innovation with other shows whereas this comes in it's like being continuously punch punch on the face <laughs> yeah i think the sex capades are what makes it unique i think right. though because you're not you literally what other what other contents could you possibly imagine the particularly like the termite scene for example in any you, you know you're not going to get that in euphoria or <laughs> um or even I in, feel in, like in, we're, in uh, peacemaker uh, because it's a slightly different yeah so i think they've they've created for themselves a pretty high i feel like euphoria is going that way more than peacemaker <laughs> is really? oh yeah no you might be right you're certainly right in terms of the the, the dick shots yeah, yeah. Well, one, one quick thing. I think Jack Quaid as Huey is the saving grace of the whole show. He's like, I great, think he's, yeah. He's, kind, he's the everyman. And yeah. I think he's kind of like wryly funny well, looking through the whole thing. Even as that a, is subverted this season. Oh, but, okay, yes. well, so far he's like, for me, he's like the one you relate to. Yeah. Yeah. He gives it that kind yeah. of, he grounds it unbelievably a month while all this fucking madness is going on around him. Mm. I, I, I love this show. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Uh, I, but also I think that, you know, obviously it's incredibly extreme, but the idea is is that these soups are so debauched and so hedonistic and so vile because there are no checks and balances on them whatsoever and they have yeah. unlimited power. I, I, I find this whole thing incredibly compelling. I love the dynamics between the characters. I also think that the kind of central love story, if you will, between Starlight and Huey actually does humanise it quite nicely and I get quite invested in that. Uh, and that's kind of tested in this season as well. Homelander is this show's secret weapon who's the Superman character played by Anthony Starr yeah. And the fact that he is such, he is so far gone. He is so off the rails. Like he's a proper, you know, cuckoo sociopath. And everyone is terrified of him because he's got God level powers. <laughs> um, and I just, I think, I think it's absolutely fascinating. I do. I, I love the dynamics of it. But it's one of these things where this falls into one of those categories of shows where it's like crack. Like I spent much of last week trying to wrestle the final two episodes out of Prime Video <laughs> because I give them to me. I must have them in my face. Like I have to have them because I was just like, it's just a spoiled. Child. I am. I am incredibly entitled, but it's just so addictive. It's so compelling. And it's like when you run out of episodes, it's like, no, I need more. Uh, and I've had this at the end of every season so far. I like the boys has from day one. I was obsessed with the boys and I continue to be obsessed with it. So uh, I cannot recommend it enough, but it is available now or rather the first what episode or two by the time we go out. It's three, isn't it? In it will be three. Yeah. yeah our on prime video uh, available now. Next, we have everything I know about love. This is based on Dolly Alderton's best selling memoir and it involves doomed relationships bad dates heavy drinking and naked dancing like a drunk jellyfish which is not something you get to see that often uh, it also involves the roller coaster ride that is life in your 20s otherwise known as getting ripped to the tits off Camden High Street which is something we who work here know let's be honest nothing about uh, <laughs> Beth tell us everything you know about this yeah it's uh, set in 2012 which I think is important. The heady days of 2012. The heady days of 10, 10 years ago. Um, and yeah, it follows follows the shenanigans of Maggie, a broke, and if you can see me use air quotes, I would use them, uh, <laughs> a, a youngster in her early 20s 
and her four her four gals, three gals. They're a, they're a unit of four together, and them just sort of, you know, rambling through life as a bunch of let's be honest, still quite privileged young women in their early twenties are um, living in very much North London in two thousand. Did I tell you it was set in two thousand and twelve? You made me mention it. Yeah, very much. Yeah, it feels it feels very much like it's set in two thousand twelve, and and that's at the crux of what I've got to so far. I'm an episode in. Uh, Emma Appleton plays Maggie, who is, I'm guessing, Dolly. Yes. Um, this is so, we should point out, it's a slightly fictionalised version. So her book is a memoir, yeah. and this, they've changed the name slightly, and they've maybe exaggerated the character's touch and, and tweaked the scenarios. So, yeah. semi-fictionalised. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, we meet her on a train coming into London, and she orders a, a bunch of booze that she can't afford off a trolley, and then a man who really does look like he should be on Take Me Out, but <laughs> yeah. minus all the, yes. all the charm and wonder of, of the lovely Danny from Big Boys, uh, happens to overhear that she can't pay for the stuff she's uh, tried to buy metaphor and um <laughs> so steps in and uh and pays for it and then that kind of is is the catalyst for kind of where she is going to go in the rest of the series we're told via voiceover there's voiceover in this uh and then yeah and then we kind of cut to her life in camden where and this is i'm st- it's got charm this show it does the biggest flaw is tr- is Casting Belle Powley as the best friend in this. So she's her best friend, Birdie, who's this kind of shy, overthinking, quirky, with a big Q, quirky gal uh, who's never had a boyfriend and who's kind of, uh, they're inseparable. They've been friends since they were little girls and uh, sort of doesn't really know what she's doing, relies on Maggie. There's a there's a whole thing about codependence in this, which, you know, is, is quite accurate of a lot of female friendships. Uh, and then Birdie does get a boyfriend, I think, in the series and that's where the friendship starts to break up. But... Belle Powley is fire. She is undisputed fire. <laughs> she is a big screen. She's an incredible actress. She was one of the best things in the morning show. She was in an amazing film called, uh, she was in Benidorm, which kind of blows my mind. But oh, yeah. I saw her in uh, a film called The Diary of a Teenage Girl, where she plays a sexually promiscuous uh, teenager who, um, well, spoiler, I guess, has an affair with her mum's boyfriend, played by Alex Skarsgård. Uh, so has like that kind of screen persona just very watch she's watched about everything that she does she's charming she's funny so to see her very much relegated to the role of best friend in this feels really strange to me um it just it feels very dated this feels like a very dated show about female friendships and that is not to say that that is necessarily a fault with the writing. It just doesn't feel very modern when you think about how writing around female characters, robust female characters, women in relationships with each other has moved along. You know, I feel like shows by female writers now are just like pushing these conversations in completely new directions. And this this just felt a little bit stale to me, just a bunch of girls living in Camden, which I'm here to tell you as somebody who works in Camden, no one has a nice time on a night out. In <laughs> maybe Camden. they did in 2012, though. Well, this is it. Maybe <laughs> 10 they, years ago. Maybe they do, maybe they do. But just just some of the attitudes and some of it, it doesn't... There could have been a, a way to kind of be quite self-deprecating while still being quite modern when you approach this. And it, it felt a little bit dated to me. And I think that Belle Powley 
is Miss Deserves better. <laughs> yeah. Is is what I would say. That's very interesting because <laughs> I completely disagree. No, no, no. I, I liked him more than you, definitely. Yeah. But also I think um so I've watched a couple of episodes. Right. And Bell and I I consider Bell Powerly to be the joint lead, really. Really? See. Yeah. So even though even though um it's of course completely adapted by Dolly Alderton and that main character um, Maggie is obviously her yeah. based on her I think um, that the best friend even though it's the best friend character in quotes mm-hmm. as, you, as you've mm-hmm. done that actually she becomes she is so brilliant and that character is so interesting and her attachment to uh, Maggie and because they're flashbacks to their when they're, no, they're known since they were kids and they're yeah. flashbacks to when they were kids which are interesting um, and the relationship that she forms with this dude, this kind of um, kind of quite bland and yet quite kind of likable, like um, sporty dude that she meets, who is the flatmate of the ridiculous street, oh as he's called. Oh. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah, in it that yeah. that, um, that uh, Maggie meets cute meets cute on the train by accident. Um, she, I just think she is much. She is absolutely much more interesting. Yeah, but that's. I think that's. Uh, I, I think she's well written and well rounded in the show. And her stuff about like she doesn't like. I kind of identify with how she doesn't. She doesn't think she has a good time. You know, people think she can't have a good time and all of that. I thought it was interesting. Mm. And you know, and she like, doesn't think she's fun. Does doesn't she? think she's fun. Mm. I think that, that I, I. You know, I totally. You know, you know, identify with elements of that completely. I thought it was fascinating. And um, I actually think her. I think I find it all everything that happens to her quite believable. And authentic and real, including the the relationship. Um, yeah. I don't know how it plays out in the end, and 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 the friendship with Maggie. And I'm more interested in her, I have to say, than Maggie. Um, so I don't. It doesn't feel like a relegation to me in, right. in that way. I okay. didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get that sense to it. I do think. I when I, funny enough, when I started watching it, I went to the screening and there was a Q and A afterwards with them all at BAFTA, and um, I was like, to first of all, I was like, oh my god, these people are quite irritating, um, and I'm not sure if I can get it going with. But by the end of the first episode, I was kind of. I, I, kind of bought into it I have to right. say and I think they are I know what you mean about it being dated but I think it's very interesting that they absolutely made sure it is set in 2012 and I know that seems very recent but actually it is 10 years ago mm. and I do think and, 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 and you're right probably that things have changed you know things like girls come along in subsequently do you know what I mean yeah. and, and and she was talking about a little bit in the Q&A Dolly Orton about how she, how girls is a huge thing for her and you almost think well part of the reason why maybe they didn't update it is because people have gone oh you know it's just a bit like a British version of girls with another a quartet of women you know young women yeah. and, but I think it's got a very different tone and it feels like a pre-girl almost like, like the way they behave and interact feels pre-girls to me in yeah. a way I'm not sure if that's Makes much sense, or if that's deliberate, but I think it makes sense that it's set that in uh, ten years ago. Put it that way, and so, and I think like that. I think uh, Marley Sewers now is really Ali uh, uh, um, Dauphin as Amar. I think it's very well cast. I think they're all really, mm. really good in quite demanding roles. There's a lot of dancing. They talked about how um, you know um, they all uh, obsessed with dancing. Dolly Alderson is, and you know, and all of that, and. Um, I could do without those sequences where she's forcing her flatmates to dance. There's a scene where she dan- topless dances yeah. in episode I one. I would say nobody does that when they get in front well, of no, I'm, I, I believe that. that's actually a biographical element. Yeah, you're I right. read an interview it that is. that is a thing exactly. that Dolly Alderson Yes, <laughs> so she is very much a, a, a kind of, yeah, she's a kind of big figure, like a, you know, like a, uh, a, um, 
a larger-than-life character. I mean, she was very funny, very engaging in the Q&A, I have to say. Um, so I think perhaps my whole opinion of it is slightly slanted by the fact that I watched them talk about it in quite, quite intelligently and interestingly. So I'm kind of, I'm more on board with it than you are, I think. And I think there are elements of it that are still annoying. And it's like, <laughs> you know, that they are, yeah, you know, there's still elements of, I don't know, entitlement and privilege, etc., and all of that, that are that they're kind of having to address and deal with, which is interesting. But, and, and, and the street character, I mean, oh my God, I find it, like, he is a bellend. Mm. Yes, yeah. he is. I, I, I mean, too. the first yeah. clue is, he's wearing the worst hat in the world when like she meets him on that train. A wide brim fuck off with oh. your hat. And I find it slightly dispiriting <laughs> that Maggie is kind of going after him yeah. and it's like there's a scene but I think that's self-criticism isn't it yeah I think that's it like definitely a, that's, is she's definitely going yeah. you know I why would I why would I get involved in this fucking yeah. bellend yeah and he um, is a bellend he is um, but I find all that quite believable and interesting so you know I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Can we take a moment just yes. to reflect on the fact that Emma Appleton is in fact Renfrey from the first episode of The Witcher and goes toe-to-toe with Geralt of Rivia in the Blaviken fight and that kind of just blew my mind right out of the water No, from the get-go of this. No, uh, we can't take a moment. Fine. Well, that aside, yeah. that aside, yeah, I'm I'm closer to Boyd's camp actually in this. I rather enjoyed this and it, it, I'm not sure it passes the bell-end test because I'm pretty sure that Maggie's a bell-end. Uh, and I think that Birdie is the only character who skirts Bellend. Oh, she's definitely Birdie's not a Bellend. No, that's what I'm saying. But but she doesn't have a conversation with another character who isn't a Bellend, therefore uh, fails the Bellend test. Okay. Uh, so, but I but nevertheless, there was strange, even though Maggie and I would not under any circumstances be friends, you know, no. uh, and possibly by extension Dolly Alderton. But I uh, <laughs> Do you want to be friends with Dolly Alderton? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, oh it's like God. we are not gonna be friends. Okay. But Nevertheless, I found this quite compelling. I quite enjoyed it. I don't think, as Beth says, I don't think it's pushing any particularly radical boundaries in terms of female friendships, but I found... And actually, there's something... like There's there's a there's a warmth between Maggie and Birdie, but there's also an imbalance. You know, it's like... It's that yeah. sidekick syndrome thing, isn't it? Where sometimes that can be very, very caricatured. Here, I think it walks the line, but mm. I actually... I bought into it. Uh, but it depends how the series takes you going forward, mm. quite frankly. But but I, I want to see more of what's happening. They got me invested in what's going to happen. You know, and I, I want to see more episodes, if only because there's a possibility that Street will get hit by a truck. <laughs> so, you know, that would be nice. But uh, but we'll wait and see. But yeah, I... I, I I may want much more of this. Sorry. Enjoy She's that. done a pretty good job of adapting a memoir into a kind of, you know, fairly well-structured, mm. quite compelling... Have not job. read the memoir. So like, like, you know, I mean, I'm not but... saying it's as good as, but this is going to hurt. You know, he mm. adapted his own memoir into a into brilliantly. A and I think she's kind of yeah. done a pretty good job. Mm. Anyway. Right, right. Well, let's see if Terry does as good a job when she adapts her memoir. Well, oh, we yes. get to see that. Oh, my God. We'll find out. Wow. <laughs> right. Everything I Know About Love, which is, of course, on BBC One. When does it air Boyd? Tuesday, the something of June. Tuesday, the something of June. PM, I think it is. <laughs> okay. One. Okay. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Finally, this week we have We Own This City, which brings David Simon and George Pelicanos back to Baltimore in a miniseries that is not a sequel to The Wire, but does feel very much like a sort of spiritual successor. Uh, this one is based on the non-fiction book of the same name by Baltimore Sun reporter Justin Fenton and charts the rampant corruption in Baltimore PD's gun trace task force. Uh, so it's basically the shield if it hadn't been fiction. Uh, Boyd, does this live up to its extraordinary pedigree? Um, Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I mean, it's... 
It's um, it dances around in time. I mean, the time fuckery is on an entire other level. It is. <laughs> so, I mean, as regular listeners will know, it's one. It is one of my bugbears, and because it, it is every single prestige TV, cinematic TV, peak TV series jumps around in time. Not like this, though. Hallmark, but this really yeah. goes for it. But have you noticed that they, they've they've invented an entirely new device for? for measuring the passage in time and that is exclusively with the length of John Berntal's facial hair yes. like, that is how you yes. know where I am anchored yes. in time solely by the length of his yeah. beard they also do flash up on screen like admittedly that too leave, two but also later. inconsistently sometimes it's a device which is like a spreadsheet sometimes it's like two weeks <laughs> yeah. earlier sometimes it's like, like it's it's yeah, yeah. it's the, a lot it opens with a spreadsheet I believe the it very does, first shot yeah. is a spreadsheet um, <laughs> I mean I it's different to the Y though it's interesting it's mm. like the same I'm going to use the, the M word milieu yeah um, but because the focus is so... It's the hand gestures the when milieu. you do milieu. It's milieu. <laughs> because the focus is much more laser-focused on the police, and specifically John Bernthal's character, really, the whole thing, everything that happens is kind of an explanation as to how he's got to where he's got mm. to in, in, in his level of corruption and thuggery and obnoxiousness. I mean, he is, if you want to bellend, I mean, oh, oh my God. God. He is a nasty... Guy, isn't he? Like, oh, he's, yeah. he's the worst. But not even just because he's corrupt. It's like when one party goes, "Hey, if you've got a big dick, you wear tight oh, pants." It's like, yeah. who talks like that? Yeah. <laughs> but to credit John Bertha is brilliant as him because you actually believe this nasty twat, mm. um, pronounced correctly, not twat. He's a twat. <laughs> um, yes. Raging twat. You know, and obviously the nonfiction um, book that this is based on is 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 basically an incredible takedown of these people personified by him. This this disgusting and, and it's funny and it's quite clever the way you first meet him where he's lecturing his fellow officers about how they should and shouldn't behave, and it's like this you know this complete. Sp- the psychopath of a, of a police mm. officer is telling people how you know the kind of ins and outs and the, and the morals of of policing. It, you do come away with it thinking, which I think I've all, I, I've thought this for a long time. I'm, I have you know the poli- the kind of person that is drawn to becoming a police officer. I do. You, you have to worry about are they that dissimilar from the kind of person who wants to become a criminal or ends mm. up being a criminal? Mm. And this series. Uh, you know, I've watched the first, only the first two episodes. You've, you've watched the whole thing, you say? No, I've watched um, three and a half episodes. Okay. It's definitely looking into that whole, you know, the similarity between the criminals and the police. And in fact, that actually the criminals in this show, or the, the alleged criminals, the people who are, you know, picked up by the police mm-hmm. and abused and all of that, are not as horrendous as a lot mm-hmm. of the police that we meet. It's an absolutely valid thing to say, particularly in this in the, in this world we're in now. So it feels relevant. I think it is different to uh, that's what I'm trying to say. So even though you know the Wire famously dealt with all the different institutions, mm. and there's a little bit of the politics of the situation that has to be in this show. So if I haven't, you know, maybe after I've watched the whole thing, there'll be more of that. There'll be more looking at the different institutions and how they're affected by police brutality and corruption, etc. But it's pretty focused. It, it feels like a cop show, like a Rolls Royce mm. of a cop drama that isn't trying to be such a complete deep dive into all the strata of power like the like the wire did i think that's what make the wire unique yeah. like across five series grappling with the media and journalism and and the police and the and the politicians and everything it kind of every single layer mm-hmm. it kind of stripped back i think this is trying to do that it feels slightly less ambitious like that because it's because it's more closely focused but i think that's a good thing it, it would be ridiculous if it was trying to be do do what the wire did but in terms of its what it's trying to do in its own in its own terms i think it's already doing it brilliantly and the cast is fantastic as well as john bernthal Wami Musaka, who's brilliant oh, in everything so who's good. lovecraft country she is 
fantastic yeah. um, on the legal side of it and I like the kind of the, the decent-ish police guys you kind of believe them as well that they're mm, Jamie of, Hector right. who I love in fact genuinely so many members of the Wirecast yeah, but some people, are like really random ones some yeah. of the kids from season four are like grown up characters in this you're like oh my god look it's Duquan like right. kind of blows your mind yeah it, it's <laughs> funny how many Wire people there are in it so um, yeah I mean it is I mean it is brilliant I mean the first uh, David Simon hasn't written the whole thing I don't believe you know I think it's like um, there, there are different writers brought in the various teams he's used over the years in his different shows but it's very it's in, feels incredibly authentic and meticulous and very well directed it feels more cinematic actually I would say you know I mean probably you know because The Wire was quite a long time ago back in the day well, you know? Wire like obviously famously went out in 4.3 it's like right, it's been it's been released famously. in 69 and in standard definition yes. it's been re-released since but you yeah. know it wasn't shot that way so this does feel like a kind it has got like movie style um, production values which are very well shot but you know not showily not flashily but just kind of quite meticulously put together and even so even though to go back to my first point about the time even the time jumps are relentless and you really have to focus David Simon really all his TV is you really have to focus and pay attention lean forward television yeah. he calls it but in this like in within the first five minutes you are lost if you are on your phone yeah, at the same but time but having said that I don't think it's difficult you just have to pay attention if you focus but you, yeah. crucially you really do need to alright yeah but you, you do need to um, but I think it's working Yeah. because again if you miss a time jump if you miss a character no, like it's not They don't, he, he, I love the way he does it he just doesn't care at all he doesn't attempt to explain who anyone is or what they do oh, he's just like you'll pick yeah. it up you'll pick it up right but you do it, yeah. pick it up you do he just shoves you right into the middle of the whole situation mm-hmm. but you, you but you do get to understand what's going on you do, you do absolutely yeah. it works yeah I mean what can I say about this having having not seeing the wire uh and also i i mean obviously was going to watch this for this podcast but i'm always i i don't know i feel quite tense about approaching a a show like this in light of i don't know it would be like i think for for some people watching a very deep dramatic dive into the pandemic do you know what i mean like are we are we emotionally prepared to see something like this given the events well you know maybe i'm taking myself into a hole here but given the the very surface level events that have happened over the past few years am i really going to sit down now and watch john bernthal be a raging prick (laughs) in like um like there's an opening monologue where he's just like pacing back and forth on his podium kind of riding up the troops um in a way that is very effective it's a it's a gripping performance but i was like Am I am I really in a headspace where I can sit down and entertain a, a show like this? But it does it very fucking well. Um and the pacing is incredible. As you said, it's very cinematic. As I said, I haven't got another point of reference. And maybe that is better, you know, in a way that we were seeing with like conversations with friends and normal people, maybe me not seeing the wire and seeing this kind of contemporary dissection of of police brutality is is, you know, actually quite a good way to view this. Um yeah, it is. I found it challenging to watch. Very, very challenging. I'm, I, I do like that he doesn't pander. It did mean I did, I did have to fucking focus, mm. like really sit down and scrutinize it. Um, in the way that he he really does scrutinize these hierarchies. Um, but yeah, I I will persist. But it is. I found it quite quite a tough watch for for myriad reasons. Um, and 
but important. It's important show. You can't just watch it because it brings you into a bad headspace necessarily. I think it shows like this that sometimes you just have to kind of go with yourself a little bit, like you didn't do with uh, I May Destroy You. Mm, um, yeah. So um, not, it wasn't up to it. <laughs> shaking my head. Uh, so yes, and and the performances are absolutely. I mean. That's that's just kind of a reliable thing, and something that I guess for fans of The Wire is exciting is seeing who this cast is going to be because of what The Wire did do um, for that cast. We've got a great piece in our June issue of um, Empire where Amon writes about The Wire on its twentieth anniversary and and just what that show did for that cast um, through those really robust roles and and really, that's as close as I've come is reading his story about this and how you know a villains really that corrupt a heroes really that heroic you know and that seems to be very much at play here and I like that everyone's robust and rounded and can really err either way um, so yeah I will I will persist I think it's an important show and and yeah it's, it says what it needs to say very powerfully it's so detailed. Yeah. Like it is so, I mean, The Wire is also very, very deep, but there's so much substance to this, to the point where I'm sure some people will think there's too much to follow. Like there's just, It's overwhelming that what it asks you to keep track of, but there's a lot going on, and I think it paints a brilliant picture of institutional corruption where it's not a few bad apples, it's a way of life. It's an entire culture, mm. and you've got a city of people being policed by criminals, and it's what you then do with that. Uh, and it's it is terrifying. And what I love about it is it shows you that it's their fruit of a poison tree in that every level of the bureaucracy is there to enable this corruption, whether it be the captains, whether it be the union bosses, whether it's the politicians who are campaigning on stuff. So they want them to bring in bodies purely for their status. I mean, The Wire does cover a lot of this stuff as well. Mm. But it obviously, this zeroes in specifically to this actual gun trace task force, which was a real thing, and these actual people who were real people. Um, and it's it's absolutely horrifying. And you look at this and and you think, and I, and I deliberately haven't gone down a Wikipedia hole on this because I don't want to know exactly how it ends. And also, w- what's being done to address this? Can anything be done to address this? Because it's systemic. And it's not one department. It's not an institution. It's almost like the way the whole of the society is structured facilitates this and I don't know quite how that gets fixed but it's horrifying watching this and some of the violence is very shocking and the behaviour and the complete lack of consequence is shocking as well but look the, you know obviously we are here as a TV podcast we're not here necessarily to to you know assess its social commentary but its value is entertainment but I think it succeeds in both camps yeah. I think this is very 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 compelling television drama uh, it's incredibly high production values it's just marvellous performances mm. uh, Tal, you know yes he is a raging bellend without peer in this but he's supposed to be and he's very watchable regardless uh, and it's interesting watching and again you can tell because of the facial hair is watching his evolution from this kind of young boot fresh out of the academy who maybe does want to you don't really know but you get the impression that he's prepared to play by the rules he maybe has uh, a certain amount of um, genuine positive motivations for doing this and then what he becomes by the end of it and it's like was he always this guy or did the institution make him this guy and I think it leans towards the latter just in 
in the way that other characters, it turns, I won't say it turns good cops bad because that's very, very simplistic, but it feels like this institution is set up in such a way that this is just a culture regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, regardless of all of that stuff, it's it's very, very good and it's definitely worth say, watching. I just want to say, it's directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green mm. who did King Richard. He directed the whole thing. Mm. He's done a brilliant job. Yeah. Yeah. As, as yeah. well as the writing from David Simon, George Pelicanus, etc. He has done a fantastic job. Really? And Josh Charles showing up. Yeah, I know. Well, that's play great casting. Incredible casting. Yeah. You just don't expect him to be like he is. Mm. No, thing. you don't. And my final... And I'm... Just the thing that John Bernthal's character is a real person yes. who really is, you know, I mean, imagine, yeah. again, I always say this about real, <laughs> just, well, you know, what do you must think about the whole thing? It's just, it's yeah. just fascinating. Yeah, assuming they get HBO in prison, which they probably don't. Man, I'm sure they get hold of it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> right, anyway, that is uh, We Own This City, which uh, begins season, it's a limited series, six parts, and it starts on Sky Atlantic and Now TV uh, on the 7th of June. Right, what else is out this week? Well, crucially, there's Miss Marvel, which drops on the 8th of June this week. Uh, we, oh, I have seen it, but we can't talk about it because it's embargoed, so I guess we'll get into that next episode. Um, what else have we got? Also, Hacks Season 2. Yes. Hacks yes. Season 2. We only just reviewed Hacks Season 1. Yes. But Hacks Season 2 arrives on the 10th as well, so that's very exciting. And I'm sure Boyd is very, very excited that a For All Mankind Season yes. 3 lands on the 10th. Yes. For All Mankind, one of the shows, again, it's one that everyone's saying this is the best show that no one's watching. Um, and I we don't know how many people are watching it. We, no, no, we but no that's idea. what adds. Generally, when people talk about it, they discuss I it know, as that because like know. it's it's a brilliant show that no one watches, yeah. and I think that's probably some accuracy there. Well, just because you don't watch it, I, well, yes, and yeah, that's if, what you I'm wouldn't saying. say that about yeah. C. You've no idea how many people watch C, but you're, I'm sure in your mind it's the biggest hit in the world ever. Well, no one's watching C either on screen or off. But there you go. Well, that's true. Uh, yeah, I'm very for mankind, and they go going to Mars in for all mankind. Very excited with Elon Musk. Exactly. No, not with Elon Musk. Um, there are a couple of other things as well. Avoidance is a new. I nearly, I, in a normal, I would try to force you to watch this. This is Ramesh Ranganathan's new sitcom, which is very interesting on BBC One on Friday, the 10th of June. Jessica Nappett's in it, who's brilliant from Ghosts, etc. And it, the whole idea of it, Lisa McGrillis, Mandy Dillon from Afterlife. Um, the idea is that Ramesh's character is um, splitting from his wife or partner. I think she is his wife. And he can't accept that she doesn't want to be with him anymore. Um, and and he, they've got a nine-year-old son and he wants to shield the son from the reality situation. But it's him really who can't deal with anything. Mm-hmm. And his avoidance, as in the title of, of, of conflict, etc. And it's, it's got some really good observations as well as being very funny. Mm-hmm. But it is a comedy so you know um, we'll just have to excuse sorry about that yeah there's a really there's a a, people on Friday on BBC2 My Name is Leon is a feature length one off drama film not a film but I, we could ne- never review it because we can't do 90 minute things particularly now but Beth does <laughs> but it is adapted by the best thing novel by Kit DeWall um, about a young mixed race boy growing up in care in 80s in Birmingham and it's got an incredible cast Lenny Henry Malachi Kirby Christopher mm. Eccleston Olivia Williams mm. it's a proper big really important interesting relevant thing My Name is Lee on Friday BBC 2 9 o'clock that again we should really have reviewed because it's a major TV event yeah. but you know it's feature length and we sometimes think they're films even though they're not films it's a film um, and I'm, so I'm finished there, nearly finished um, backstage with Catherine Ryan again you, this is comedy Catherine Ryan stand up this is like she goes it's an insight into back. I'm fascinated by comedians backstage at things if you've ever seen this, there's a um, documentary film called Comedian with Jerry Seinfeld that's kind of about Jerry and the comedians he hangs out with and you see the behind the scenes this you see the behind the scenes footage of Catherine Ryan hanging out with lots of different comedians Jimmy Carr um, lots of current valid comedians who James would not be the size of interest 
interested in, but normal people probably will be. And it's and it's interesting that's on Prime Video on Thursday the 9th, backstage with Catherine Ryan. First Kill, which is a YA vampire show that comes to Netflix on the 10th and weirdly appealed to me. <laughs> but if there hadn't been other stuff on, I'd have quite wanted to watch that. Have actually seen it? Or even... I haven't seen no. it, no, no, no. Uh, and I'm sure there are... Oh, Girls 5 Ever. Oh yeah, lands on Peacock, which is the sequel yes. to Girls Forever. Yeah, uh, which I could live without. But anyway, that starts on the the sixth of June. Uh, I think that's broadly it. Pick of the week. Um, um, we're in this city. will probably be it for me. Yeah, but I really like the boys. Yeah, Actually, I mean it's the boys yeah. for me. Of course, it's the boys. Yeah, yeah. I think but it is we're in this city. I thought it was a good week. I'd watch yeah, all three good. of these yeah. to death. Yeah, so, good. Yeah. so all good. Right. Okay, that's it. We're done. Another pod in the bag. If you want to be in with the cool kids, then please do head over to our Apple Podcast page and leave us a five star rating, or indeed a one star rating, and complain about all the swearing, whichever floats your particular boat. Uh, and please do follow us on social media at Pilot TV Pod as well as individually at Beth K Webb at Boyd Hilton and at James C Dyer, where you can find such unalloyed delights as a recent video of me making pancakes. True story. Uh, on next week's show, we're getting ready for the imminent launch of Paramount Plus here in the UK by interviewing Anson Mount, Captain Pike in the upcoming Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And we'll not only be able to talk about Miss Marvel next week, but we'll also be watching The Lazarus Project on Sky and we will have stars Papa Esiedu and Angie Mohindra on the show as well. And I know this because if I turn around and look into the window behind me, I can see a Mon Woman in the other studio waiting to speak to them, mic in hand. And clearly been delayed. And they've clearly been delayed. So assuming they actually do call and get to speak to him, then that will happen as well. See you next time. Pilot's out.